This podcast comes to you from nerdsthegeek.com. Welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends watch films and then talk about them. I'm your host and pilot, Scott Murray, and I'm joined today by our flight engineer, Joel Lewis. Engineer here. Radioman, Tim Gerard. Present. <laughs> and bombardier, Zeke Perez, who unfortunately wasn't able to come on this mission with us today. For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly discussion podcast where we all take turns picking a film, watching it, and then talking about it. The general idea being that we get more out of our movies when we share them with people whose company we enjoy. I've certainly found that to be true many, many times. There are no rules about the films we can pick. They can be new or old, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, a film we've seen a million times or never seen before. And at the end of each episode, we announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you'd like. We do also spoil everything we watch, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, we suggest watching a movie before listening to its Movie Mumble episode. This month, I was our film selector, and I brought us the 1990 war film Memphis Belle, about the first or one of the first B-17 bomber crews in World War II to actually finish their required number of missions and complete their tour of duty. I've talked quite a bit here. Um, does one of you want to perhaps summarize, and then I can get into how I discovered the movie and why I brought it? You don't, because Zeke is here. Like we don't, we're not going back to the previous format where somebody else summarized. You picked it. You, okay. you get to okay. say it. Flip no, your this coin, going Joel. Back in, flip, no, flip the I'll coin flip and, coin. and get the you. audio. Of the ping. <laughs> okay. I'll okay. edit it in. I'll splice it in. Chef style. <laughs> I just don't, styles. I just don't want to dominate the whole first, you know, twenty minutes of the podcast. All right. No, the I was going to say the long-awaited Memphis Bell. Yes, this has been teased for a number of years. <laughs> it seems now. Right. So, so the, the overall historical context, of course, is that it's World War II, but we haven't been able to land in Europe and start fighting back on the ground yet. So the British and Americans have a bunch of bombers stations in Britain that they used to bomb German infrastructure and factories, whatever, you know, to disrupt the German war effort as much as they can with their heavy, seems understated, a strategic bombing campaign, right? The Americans are bombing during the day, which is uh, sort of a trade-off, right? Their bombing is much more accurate than at night, but they're also taking much, uh, many more losses due to German fighters and anti-aircraft fire. The British have switched to night bombing. The B-17s are 
probably something you're familiar with, the famous big four-engine bombers that are one of the big symbols of the war, right? And for any of you familiar with Catch-22, you know that bomber crews had to uh, serve a certain number of missions before they completed their tour and could go home. So Memphis Bell picks up in Britain, where the crew of the plane named Memphis Bell has finished 24 out of their 25 missions. And the next one they're going to go on is going to be their 25th. So either they're going to be the first crew ever to do this. And in history, they were either first or second, I think, depending on which mission happened where. But for the film's purposes, right, they're going to be first. Mm. Uh, or they're going to die. <laughs> Thus <laughs> adding yet more you know, fuel to the debate about whether it's even possible to survive 25 missions in a row. <laughs> Oh man! Um, the opening of the film basically introduces us to the Bell and her crew. Dude, uh, several... this mm-hmm. opening, like <laughs> the, okay, oh, well, right, uh, like, the actual let's just opening, get, let, just is... in, just in, ter- like the narrated opening, and yeah. like the uh, sorry, like uh, no, please, I just want to get right into it because, like, I think that Do that's it. a good enough. Like the <laughs> opening of this film was so fucking like. It's newsreel, and it's like the Sandlot. It's that Stand by Me thing, and it's these kids, and it's like they're just like it. They they shouldn't even be enlisted yet. They're kids at play. They're boys at play, and then it transitions to the the like. There's the they have this wonder as the plane goes over the top, and then the camera turns over, and they're there. And it's like the 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 quickness with which that transition happens. Sorry, I'm getting very very. Frenetic. This film was no, just—I really liked it. It was really painful. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just be—I'll start by saying that. Like, it was just—it was really cool from a visual language standpoint to have that kind of really, really nuanced like story already. That like, look at these kids. Like, they are kids, and this is what their life has been, and they're like here. Like they're playing soccer, and this is also the reality going on. And I just thought it was a great, great reality check, real early. I mean, yeah, because that's that's your real opening, right? It's just these you don't really know who they are yet. Various crewmen, right, playing their game, and the planes go over. And then the next shot is the commander of this particular wing of bombers counting planes as yeah. they come back to land, and looking sad because the number is not what he wants it to be right um but then the first you know first act of sorts right introduces us proper to the the actual crew of the bell the names where they're from the whole deal you know it just us to some of the other crews to other people at the base and to john lithgow right who is our like media officer who's showing up to basically whisk the crew of the memphis bell off on a bond tour as soon as they come back is this the victorious crew of the bell who gave it to the germans and their 25 missions and and he just walks around like a specter because he's so shiny he's so so clean he's like his patches i'm sorry this is like this is like my dad gunnery sergeant like marine kid thing kicking in like the he's got no he's green like it's like frustrating how green he is he's so shiny and it it's such a great juxtaposition with him and the the other commander like that that dynamic and how they interact and how that evolves and there and how it changes because you see lithgow go through some shape but like 
he like seriously clean the dude is like spotless and is like it's it's frustrating like it's you can see in (laughs) the cut of his jib literally like anyway yeah (laughs) so he he shows up and he's just not not welcome because the, the crews of the bombers are very superstitious at this point right they all have their own lucky rabbit's foot or tap the eighth rivet 16 times on takeoff or whatever right and the one of the ones that's the most universal you know the most agreed upon is that you don't say that you're gonna come back from your next mission right you don't take it as a given you don't say Oh, and we're back, this or that. So he's going around like organizing a band and putting up banners and shit. And he gives a he gives a toast to the crew of the Memphis Bell who's gonna finish the twenty fifth mission tomorrow, right? And the whole room just just stares at him, right? Like, you've just killed these men, right? <laughs> How dare you? So so that's our, our first, you know, chunk of the film. Uh, and then up they go, and the whole rest of the movie is ten boys in metal tube getting shot at in an attempt to to perform their mission so i mean that's it if you liked the section of the original star wars where they're fighting the tie fighters off as they escape from the death star guess what that was legitimately based on bomber footage from war so same vibe here um but it kind of just doesn't relent you get waves of fighter attacks and waves of flak and anti-aircraft fire and moments to breathe in between while they let off steam with jokes to each other over the radio right and that's that, that's it their numbers number of planes in the formation dwindle the closer they get and that's the drama um it is also sort of a i don't know i don't want to say montage right but a collection of various extreme or dramatic things that were reported by veterans right so all these crazy things happen during the film uh, a shot down german fighter hits a bomber and cuts it in half as as it's crashing at one point right there's um you know there's a whole there's a whole bunch of really spectacular sort of moment to moment right in front of your face stuff and like in all likelihood that all didn't happen on any single mission but across the sum total of all the many missions ran you know people saw these things right that one guy in the one bomb group saw this when they bombed bremen the other guy in the other bomb group saw this on the mission over france the other you know and the filmmakers collected all of these stories and put the most devastating or most visually striking ones all together for the film right so it's sort of a collection of of veterans reports and um sure enough it's dramatic you know the the bell gets shot up a lot. They have maintenance issues coming back, an engine fire they have to deal with, among other things, you know, and the whole thing culminates with them landing at the base and their landing gear not working properly. And in that opening, when our base commander is watching the planes come back and counting, the last plane that staggers its way back to the base with, you know, half an engine left and no gear skids across the runway and bursts into flames and loses the whole crew right at the base at the end right that's how the film opens so right up until the last minutes you know they, they keep the drama going right you haven't really survived the mission until you are walking away from the aircraft right being away from the german germany doesn't count being over the water doesn't count being over england doesn't count right you gotta have both your feet on the ground again and that's that's it right that's our film it's it's also pg-13 of all things which is a little interesting how for a war movie right this yeah. has some of the most disturbing things i've ever seen or heard on film 
Is it really PG thirteen? I think so, right? I might. That I is wow. Mentioning this in my uh, my like preview last episode, maybe I'm just crazy. That surprises me. Well, thanks for that, Wikipedia. Um... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess I could see why. I mean, like, number one, it's historical. Like, number two, there isn't much that's like super graphic in nature. It doesn't have the Saving Private Ryan gore, right? Right. Yeah, it's right. more implied, I guess. It's more yeah. psychological, but like, the, it's still like it's really sophisticated the way they go about it. Like that. Yeah. It. That's. That. I guess that's fair. Yeah, it's not right. uh, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> it is. It's PG thirteen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not crazy. And and yeah, I. I think it's a great example of you know how to do a PG thirteen or or anything right because they do it well um, as as mentioned right the intensity is in the situation itself rather than in what they're actually slathering on the lens in front of you right and that that works you know that's all you need um, there's also admittedly a bit less language than you hear in some more modern productions right. Mm-hmm. which is what it is neither here nor there it's also kind of filled with cliche right our crew is. Like, pick 10 cliched yes. American characters and shove them into a blind And it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect, Scott. Harry Con... Okay, can we, I, we haven't even Please. got to, to first impressions yet, but, like, Harry Connick motherfucking <laughs> Jr. in this. Can he... I want that character to be in everything. Like, I just want that guy. That <laughs> side character. I loved it. I loved how everybody was just, like, a facsimile like oh <laughs> i loved it next we've got the, the older man pilot who the crew trusts with their lives who like went to his fancy school we've got the scrappy kid from the northeast who was in the turret who's yeah you know wants to fight we got the the like naive farm boy who's never been with a girl before you know and it god you're watching the first act of this movie and you're just kind of thinking oh this is a really cheesy feel-good war film isn't it but then then the planes take off and all of that falls away and I got to say, you know, they employ the same sort of cheesy cliche tools that a lot of other films do that I have, I've come away from those other films feeling like a waste of time, right? Oh, God. What? But there's something about that, that complete tonal shift here that really just makes it work. All right. So that's it. I've done, I've done enough introducing. Can we do first impressions? Please, someone else talk. <laughs> Tim, in an effort to let you speak at all this episode, <laughs> I'm gonna, you should go now. Okay, um, this is like a throwback. Like I, I I'm yeah. remembering this dynamic of the podcast. I, <laughs> it used to be wild out here. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of like World War II films. Like I have seen probably like I've seen Saving Private Ryan, and I can't remember any others. Um, but you know, of, of what other... wise, did you watch Band of Brothers or the Pacific? No. Okay. No worries. Like I, I remember when that was a thing, but I think I didn't sure. have HBO at the time or whatever. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. No. But this one, I like. It was definitely like my my favorite, and I think, oddly enough, part of what I really liked about it was like the, the claustrophobic nature of it. Mm-hmm. Like it almost. It almost had like an indie film, like or or play. Like I feel like you could perform this as a play, 
yeah where mm-hmm. the stage is just inside the plane and it's people like you say like like doing almost um what was it like like steve zisu didn't they do part where they had like a cross yeah, section the cross of section the sub? like i yeah. feel like you could do that with this where it's like the people are just in the plane in their different compartments and they're shouting back and forth and they're scrambling across but like you you could almost see like the, i mean you know you'd need the intro to kind of get up to that point but like the yeah that idea of of them just most of it just them being like stuck in their own little pods and wherever they are and how they're interacting with the people who happen to be close to them and everything and um so like for me i feel like it really did and and you know and, and like you were saying the idea of introducing these characters at first and you know using those clichés and and i think you know, maybe the cliche idea was like kind of intentional where it's like you you want to have characters that as many people as possible can connect with and be like, oh, that that's like me, you know, um, and not that there was anyone necessarily that I connected with, like, oh, that person is like me. But I think it's efficient, fact, right? They don't have yeah. to spend, you know, two hours just giving you backstories, right? right. They can give you the cliches, you know, you're like, oh, yep, know that guy. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like that so much of it focused on like them interacting with each other, not necessarily, you know, the, the war was kind of like what was going on outside of them, but mostly what we were focusing on, you know, and, um, you know, and the fact that like so much of the fighting, yeah, it was like shooting at stuff on the outside, you know, you know, like it was like with star Wars, you know, like it, you know, so much of, I guess what I appreciate with a lot of those scenes is, you know, the characters inside the Millennium Falcon, like that's, that's who I care about in those scenes. I don't, I don't necessarily care about like what the dogfight looks like. It's the interaction of the people and how they're communicating. So, so that's, that's one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about this. And, and it almost like, like, even though, like, I don't, I don't know that I have claustrophobia, but every now and then that idea about being in a confined space, like gives me the sense that I may have it. Like, but with this, it was different because it was like, it, it it felt like home to them, you know, like when they were in their little sections, it's like, oh, this is where we've done 24 missions. Like I got my little knickknacks here and my little things here and my little, my chain here, you know, and it's like everyone had, it's like, it's like a cubicle almost, you know, like, like everyone made their little, little cubicle with the pictures. And so, you know, you got this sense of, of comfort when they were in their little area, like even though it's crammed in and they're bumping into the person behind them, like this, th- that's, that's where they live almost like that's where they're more comfortable than out in the world, walking around where they have space, you know, and, um, and that, you know, it gives them the, the, this sort of like focus and, 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 you know, purpose and everything. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I, I really enjoyed that, that part of it. And I, it wasn't something that I would have thought if you said, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of people crammed into a plane. Like, and I feel like similarly with like submarine movies, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to watch that. I get too freaked out seeing a bunch of people in a submarine all crammed together. But maybe, you know, I'm kind of almost second guessing it now. Maybe I would like something like that, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of like like making the best of and, and owning that situation, you know, like instead of being like, Oh, I hate being crammed in this little spot. It's like, Nope, this is my, this is my thing. This is what I do best. This is my job. I'm the one who crawls in this little pod and you close the door over me. And I'm just crammed in here. Like I said, you know, couldn't even fit a parachute in there. And he's just like, you know, like crammed in there for the rest of the time on the bottom of the plane, like away from everybody else, you know, probably, you know, more in isolation than anyone else on the plane, like Sean Astin's character, like being in that, the the bottom gunner. Yeah, but it was like, I could, I could see 
you know, some other version of me, like enjoying that and being like, yeah, like I don't like being in small confined places, but it, it almost reminds me of like when Christian Bale was doing Batman and he was saying like how uncomfortable the suit was and, and it was hot and it was heavy, but like taking that anger and using that, like channeling that into the character, like, the, you know, number one, like I get to be Batman, but number two, instead of, you know, being all whiny about it, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I'm just uh, I'm uncomfortable in this and I'm angry and that's, that's going to be part of how I'm approaching, you know, and it seems like that's kind of how it would be in that kind of situation. So, um, so yeah, so I really kind of liked it. And just even like, you know, the scenes before you know, leading up to that, when it kind of shows them all together as a group, even when they're all, you know, at the dance and whatever beforehand, like, I feel like for the most part, they're all together. They're not like, screw you guys. I'm going out and I'm going to hang out with everybody else. It's like, they're like this little close knit, little, little family. Also, Each also crew as a yeah. mini family. Right. Yeah. 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 It also remind me too, like when, back when I used to do drumline, you know, like we would, <laughs> we would have the drumline, like, you know, when, like during like meals and stuff like that, like, oh, we're all going to sit together, you know, and it would kind of, you know, create this extra level of camaraderie. It's not like, oh, rehearsal's done, go out and see everybody else. It's like, no, we're going to eat together too. So that we're all just kind of like bonding on a personal level, not just, oh, we happen to all play the same instrument or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that part of it was really cool. Um, yeah. I remember, yeah. Like, like how you mentioned the the, the landing gear not going down in the first scene and kind of seeing like, Oh, put the landing gear down. I'm like, Oh God, I know what's happening here. And you know, that, that idea oh, that they kind of set you up for that, where it's like, Oh, is this the fate that awaits them? And I was just like, that's, that's, that's great. That's, I feel like, you know, in a way, like it, it's almost like another, I don't, I don't want to say cliche, but like, I feel like a filmmaking one-on-one kind of thing of let's put something in the beginning that right. kind of foreshadows something and, and sets check this off landing gear. You know, yeah. 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 Check off landing gear. And, um, and that, yeah, that was the other thing I was, I was glad you mentioned this too, because I was wondering how much of this was like accurate to this flight, this mission specifically, and how much of it, yeah, just like a collection. Yeah, basically not yeah. at all, right? The whole, yeah. like a compilation. The whole thing is, yeah, it's just a compilation. Yeah. To, which, yeah. which is fine. Like, I'm not a super, mm -hmm. like, you know, historical purist. So it's like, I need to know exactly, you know. So I think, yeah, I think that was a great way to approach it where it's like, you and know, even if it was less yeah. visually spectacular, it was no less dangerous, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry, picking this, this. Yeah, but yeah, like like you said, the part of the, like the one plane cutting the other plane in half it was just like, <laughs> like you know, there's no, like no, no avoiding that, no way to protect yourself. You know, it wasn't like yeah. oh, you're thinking like oh bullets, and it's like no, how about another a whole <laughs> plane? You know, just you know, what, like what are you gonna do? You know, um. But yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, there were definitely so many, so many parts that were just like, so, and I, I, yeah, I guess that's part of it is the, the PG 13 thing, like, like that whole thing, you know, I, I feel like your imagination made it more horrifying, you know, cause you're yeah. picturing, you know, those people on the plane and like, and how, you know, you can, Eric Stoltz's character can like hear him over the radio. And it's the guy he's been talking to. And there were so many things like that, that, yeah, again, we're just like, so, such good like filmmaking about like oh let's let's set this little relationship about oh it's the rookies and like oh it's yeah. it's our last mission oh and the, this guy's you know the, and i'll take your picture and it's like it's like oh man oh no oh no yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the first time he goes to like save the camera from falling i was like oh that's coming back he's gonna need that photo because that's the only evidence like, <laughs> so yeah so just like in in general i thought it was it was really good like I, I didn't know what at all to expect from it i mean i guess you know thinking a war movie i, I guess i 
you know, you, you kind of think, okay, there's gonna be a bunch of fighting, but I think maybe that's part of it too, is most of the other stuff I've seen has been more like on the ground kind of stuff, you know, sure. whereas with this, you know, yeah, it, it, because it was so isolated, it, it had to be about like their, their relationships to each other and them reacting to what was happening outside of them and how that was affecting them and everything. Yeah. I haven't delved into this topic at all, but you get reports, I guess I'll say of just that air combat in general like that is so bloodless compared mm. to fighting on the ground because you know you don't shoot a guy and then step over his corpse later right, right? you rip apart a machine the human is so small at the front end you can't even see it and then the machine poofs to the ground in a bunch of smoke and half the time you see a parachute right it's sort of there's the sense not of fighting another person but mm. of knocking out the object right i don't again i haven't looked into any of those as as conclusive studies or veterans accounts or anything but it's really evident here you know the most uh the most blood we get is if someone in the bell is hurt and then it's not much because it's pg-13 right so it's right. fine everything or it's else a is... fake out the tomato, <laughs> the tomato soup yeah oh my I, god, oh my god. <laughs> what an like and yet the, seriously the the high wire act that they play with tone in this is is, is really well done like the humor that's there, the the madness, like just like them trying to maintain and not lose their sh and like there's there's moments of levity and victory and then immediate disappointment. And it, it just really emotionally I feel like leads you along. You could care less about the content or anything, but like it, I feel like it really feels you around it. Like it, it the tone is really impressive. It, yeah. it's kind of unique. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tim. I jumped in on you again. You were. Oh no, no, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty much wrapping up. Just you know, yeah, that that yeah. Overall, I I really liked it. I was really you know surprised like how much I liked it. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's part you know, and kind of like what what you were just saying, Joel, about the whole idea of like, um, you know, how it walks that wire. I think it works so well because the characters are so so humanized, you know, and I think that was important. Because that you know again, it, it almost like it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the movie Titanic, right? Where if you just had a a, a movie about a boat with a bunch of people that kind of crashed and, and sank, it's like, well, what are you connecting with? You know, it's like even if there's a bunch of people, it's just it's a number in your head. That's like why I think it's like, oh, we have to have a love story. You know, we have to like care about these two people so much that you know that's kind of the vehicle for 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 the emotional connection to this whole boat because it's almost like it's so many people that you kind of almost can't keep track of it i feel like mm -hmm. so i think like for this that was probably part of it is like we have to make these people like you know humanize they're not just soldiers like they're they're dudes they're regular dudes they could be right. you know anybody and, and I think that's part of it too, just that, you know, them playing the silly games and getting around and everything and, you know, doing pranks on each other. Like, I think that was part of it to help, you know, humanize it. And that like, you know, it's not, it's not, I, I think it's unrealistic to be like serious 90, you know, 100% of the time, because it's yeah. like, you've got to have some way to blow off steam and tell a joke and, 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 you know, react and whether it's, you know, intentional or just their brain being like, okay, we're going to go nuts if we don't find something funny in this next situation, you know, like that type of thing. And, 
I think that made it, you know, for me, like more realistic. Yeah. Like the, the tomato soup thing where it's like, you know, and again, looking back like, Oh, that was foreshadowed too. Oh, want some soup. You know, he's got this little soup in his thermos and it's like, you know, like everything I feel like was, was set up in a way where you're like, Oh yeah. You know, where's if, if that little moment hadn't happened, it's like, why is there tomato soup on an airplane? Like what the hell's happening? But it's like, no, it's like, you're, you're living up in this plane for this mission. It's like, yeah, you got to eat, have some soup. It's cold up there. Like, of course you would have soup, you know? So, yeah. So I thought it was, it was, it was great. It was, you know, uh, easy, I think to connect to, even for someone like me who isn't interested in war movies, you know, that, you know, that whole umbrella, it almost like, wasn't really a, you know, you could, you could take this story and kind of put it somewhere else, you know, anywhere else. And it'd be like, oh yeah, a bunch of people doing some mission for something, you know, it wouldn't have to be a historical thing. It could just be whatever. And it's like, yeah, I want to see how all these people interact and all the shit they have to go through and how they deal with it and how they fight, but how they make up and, mm -hmm. you know, like, how, how sweet it was when that guy like pretended he threw his thing, you know, again, like we yeah. see him when they're all like doing something to pass the time and he's practicing magic, right. Sleight of hand. And he makes him think he threw his, you know, his charm out the, the window and it's like, Oh no, it's right here. And like, we see, Oh, they don't hate each other. They're friends, you know, and it's sweet. And, you know, and he was like, he was happy that he wasn't more badly injured. And like, you know, it's like, again, it's like, a, it was about the people, you know? And I thought, mm -hmm. I thought that was great. Yeah. Very cool. I'm glad you liked it. Very nice, Joel. I liked it. I, I mean, it was it was like it, it tapped it like seriously. It had that stand by me, that like adolescent youth kind of thing that, and like the Sandlot. They had a lot of that energy, and then like it just it was so well crafted, and it it, it gave me like Apollo thirteen esque. It, it had that kind of prestige PG thirteen of a certain era like really carefully compiled, really emotionally tugging. And like, it, yeah, there's the cliches, but I just was so, I hadn't watched one like this in a long time. So it was like, it, it felt really good to watch. And, and it, it's devastating, man. Like this, it's, it's heartbreaking and, and claustrophobic. And it has all these little, the granularness of it, like the little things I never would have pictured like getting in and out of the plane, like that fucking ab workout thing you have to do. I, I, I couldn't make it up there. And also like, I'm six, five, like this space. And the fact that they're like, they're not even wearing their safety shit because of how cramped it is. And then they're reminded, Oh, maybe we should be wearing parachutes because we didn't see any shoots come out of the one that just get, got lost. Like it, it, it was just, the reality of it, it was very frenetic. It was very naturalistic. I felt very in an indie movie way. Like it had the, the prestige and the budget, and these gorgeous sweeping shots, right? Like with all of the machinery and everything's lined up in a formation. It feels like the, the bond ads or like the, the footage from the front light when they had the reels and stuff like it, it really captures like the, the, uh, uh, aesthetic of reporting back from the war. Like that's a lot of what I saw was inspiring the, the framing and these giant like sweeping shots of all of the machinery in the background of troops moving and all that, like really gorgeous stuff like that. But then once you're in the cockpit, it's super frenetic. And the, like, I like, and the way it cuts between things and like the claustrophobia of it and 
how you see it and how it's pieced together is really effective. And, and just again, like kind of seeing all of the derivatives of this kind of warfare technology and movies and stuff and like how it's all been adapted and then like kind of projected from into like Marvel and like the futuristic combat thing is just like the reality of like, they almost collided because a cloud was there and they're not, they don't have right. radar. You know, who needs who needs Germans? We can kill ourselves, right? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, with fronds oh, like boy. these, who needs anemones? Like, it, like it, it's really like it. It's crazy, like that to think about, and like the idea that you're patched in with your own radio, but you're not checking in. Like in the movies, everybody's checking in with everybody all the time. You know, like it's not like it's open, but like that's not like it, there was also the like the long boredom of it, right? And mm-hmm. and that that the cognitive distance there like you have these long straight and they had a false start to start the movie it's like hey we're going to the thing nope calling it on account of weather and it was just like uh, uh, oh like and then you have to like make peace with that and then like i and it was great to see in prep for the mission like everybody's reaction and the the one kid who's like i don't want to die in the field and then there's the guys who's like i don't want to go home because i don't know what am I going to do without this? Like, yeah. it just, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it was really poignant and like deliberately. So, and I think there's, there is a tendency for some movies to go poignant and it goes gross. Like it, mm. it, it's like that Oscar Beatty kind of way. This sure. didn't feel like that. It felt very earnest to me. And I don't know if I was just, yeah. Earnest that, just that, work. Yeah. And it be, I think it's all it seemed very honest like it seemed very yeah. pg-13 really with that i right <laughs> right i'm yeah. seriously i i don't know <sighs> that's uh, that's a scene that's it's not a favorite scene but it is it is a poignant yeah. <laughs> devastating scene like we'll get yeah. to it that that's all my first impression. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. That was as quite far a, as tirade. as far as how I discovered the film, I don't remember anymore. And I know that's a terrible answer, but I I was undergrad college years, and I was looking for more war films. I guess right because I'd seen Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers, which had come out while I was around and old enough to watch them right and i'd seen saving private ryan and banded brothers which were the the famous things right and then not a lot else i just there was stuff that was old that was hard to find or that was old that didn't hold up and there wasn't a lot of new stuff being made and i was just kind of googling around and trying to figure out what was there right and at some point somewhere this passed under my gaze as a thing that existed um and i was able to watch it online at the time so I did, and I just I loved it. So I went straight to Amazon and bought it right after that. Right, done. You know, and that, that's it. That's the thing. And it sort of occupies a unique place in my my war film collection because of its rating and its the way. It, again, everything you guys both just said about like it leans on these cliche characters, but it doesn't do them in a way that makes you just go, oh, great, yeah, this again. I'm bored. Who cares? It's sort of it's quick. It's efficient. It, you know, uses that tool well, right? And then the the honesty and the earnestness of said characters and of the setting is great. And I think the thing that makes it for me is the way that the first act feels feels very Hollywood. Right? 
yeah, great. Here are your 10 dudes. Here are their personalities. You can already list them in your mind without even guessing, you know, the, the scrappy guy, the, the father figure, yada, 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 right? Here's the, the cheesy guy who's going to say the wrong thing, make the room go, oh, ha, ha, ha. But then as soon as the planes take off, all of that goes away. And it's just, it's just is what it is. Here's our 10 guys. And here's their lives, right? It's something, there's something about that that's so unique, right? So many other films and works either, they, they do that sparsity, I guess, that laser focus of the latter sections of this film throughout the entire thing. Or, Dude, this may have this may be the thing that fixes like the the uh, uh, boot camp deployment issue, right? Like for a movie, like so, like with like stripes or like um, uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, where mm-hmm. it's like really compelling when you meet all of the crew and like you understand their dynamics. But the second that they leave training, the movie falls apart. Like it doesn't seem. Like, this is a, a personal opinion. Like Stripes is like that. Stripes is hilarious when they're training, but the second they leave, I I, I don't know. Like this, this has such a great because the Hollywoodness of it is only is it's only in that first act, and it's very surface level, and it's very deliberately so. It makes the rest of it like it's the balance is right, you know. Like I feel like in a certain sense, does that make sense? Yeah. No. I yeah. I agree. I, it's. There are films that are cheesy all the way through and films that are serious all the way through, and this somehow balances the two really well. I love the Well, scope. I'm saying like with Full Metal Jacket, just in terms of like the, the construction of the plot and like the, mm-hmm. the set, like it, in terms of it, it's very unbalanced. They all get deployed to totally unrelated places and you have a whole new cast for part two, right? Essentially, yeah, it's except for that, that disconnect. Uh, I, right. I like that. I didn't mean to make it seem cheesier, like the, no, to, to no, finish right. this one because, like, it, but like it has that is a construct of, of, and there's a lot of war movies, but like when right. we follow p- folks from training into something, usually that leap is really difficult. And I think it, it, is trying to accomplish the same thing that this does in the first act, which mm-hmm. is introduce these really rich characters, but they, the way they've inverted it is really clever in yeah. Memphis. Yeah. No, yeah. And it's, it's a great, it's a great system. It's you, you talked a lot to him about scope, about just keeping the focus on the 10 guys. And I agree a thousand percent. I have a miniature rant here about Band of Brothers and the Pacific, the two series, right? The two HBO miniseries, which are both excellent, right? But the Pacific, and it was good, but it was sort of not as good as Band of Brothers. And it was just never going to be. And it 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 frustrates me so much that people expected it to be, right? Because of the scope. Both the scope of the war in the Pacific compared to to Europe in at outright, at right? That once we landed in France. Mostly, we just kind of pushed eastward towards Germany in a very linear fashion. There was a second landing. There was a little pocket in southern France, you know, but that's kind of it. The whole focus of Europe is just an A to to B sort of progression for the most part, right? There were other things, but they weren't necessarily huge, famous news events, right? Um, Italy is its own campaign. It's treated separately from the rest of Europe, right? So again, Italy started the south, fight your way north, generally pretty linear, right? Simple. We were all over the Pacific, all the time. Island after island after island. There were eight or nine different fights going on at once. You know, the Philippines lasted forever on its own, and we had to do a bunch of stuff to lead up to it. There were divisions all over the place. It's kind of just already 
if you're going to tell the story of one unit in the Pacific, it's just not going to have that same easy to follow progression of invade France, fight in France, fight in the Netherlands, fight near Germany, fight in Germany, ding, 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 right? It's going to be a mess. You could be all over the place, right? So that was problem one. And problem two was in Mandarin Brothers, the focus on a company, which was somewhere between 100 and 150 men, I want to say, total, right? Platoons were in the 33-ish range, and companies were three to four platoons, right? So let's, let's call it 100, 150 men, which is a lot of men. But you got 10 episodes, and you're doing them in groups, right? Here's this squad, where you're focused on five guys who speak, and the other five are extras, right? Done. Here's the next episode, where you have the other squad. And hey, look, there's that squad you saw before. They're doing the left flank, but we follow these guys up the middle. Okay, cool, I get it, right? You know, like, the scope was small enough that, you know, for a company, that you could keep track of everybody. In the Pacific, they went for a division. Three companies make a battalion. Three battalions make a regiment three regiments make a division right just what the f oh my god right parts of various divisions never even see each other in person throughout the entire war right because they're just that massive so not not to i feel like i'm disparaging the pacific a lot it's great it's really good right but it just it was never going to have that same compact cohesiveness that Band of Brothers does. And even Band of Brothers doesn't have the same compact focus that Memphis Bell does, um, which is part of why I think Memphis Bell works so well. So I was really glad when you mentioned that, Tim, right? Keeping the focus small was something I like about this movie a lot. So I'm glad it, stuck, it clicked with you. But yeah, right. So for all of these reasons, it just kind of, as I accumulated more and more war films, right? Memphis Bell kept standing out as just really small but good in a way that a lot of other films aren't right you know saving private ryan also great but it just feels like so much more to hold in your mind like an epic mm, yeah. you know which is fucking it's fine but this more compact neater start to finish story just it, it leaves me feeling a little more run out i guess more completely right than other things so, so that's how i how, how I learned about it. I found it on the internet. But <laughs> that's why it has stuck with me, right, for so long, and why I finally wanted to bring it to the podcast for you all. I, I feel like I maybe asked you something similar, maybe when we did Casablanca, Tim, but what is your war movie experience? Not just with World War II, but in general. Uh, yeah, not not a lot. It's not a, a genre that I usually seek out. Um, yeah, so the only ones like I, I actually uh, hadn't even thought of Casablanca as a, a war film, you know. I mean, does, I mean, doesn't focus, sure. but yeah, like right, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, maybe I could probably count on one hand the the like. So yes, yeah, so I did see Saving Private Ryan. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are some that I, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Oh yeah, okay, so I did see Full Metal Jacket. Uh, okay. I did see Apocalypse Now. I haven't Apocalypse seen Platoon. Gone with the Wind. No, I was supposed to watch that for my film scoring class, but it's. <laughs> I, this was like that was like in the time when I was supposed to when with the whole gas leak situation. So like as I was trying to play catch up, it's like oh yeah, by the way, watch Gone with the Wind. It's like I was just thinking yeah. about bringing that to the podcast earlier today. <laughs> but sorry, please, so, <laughs> please. So, yeah, Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket, right? Save yep. Private Ryan, sure. Yeah. Yep, I think yeah. So. Yeah, I can't really think of. I'm Great. trying to like, like imagine like the scenario of like, okay, but I mean, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I mean, sure, that? why not? Right? I don't know. Yeah. But, um, okay, but then what? 
more importantly, what's your overall? I don't know. I guess your overall opinion of the fit, right? I I've always loved the topic. I was your stereotypical green plastic army med guy, right? <laughs> so like, I'm seeking this stuff out. I've got a book on my nightstand right now. It's the beginning of a trilogy about American forces in North Africa and Europe in the war, right? Like this is I just <laughs> enjoy the topic, right? Bread and butter stuff. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but which is why even outside of World War II, war movies as a whole are interesting to me in the broader sense of war history and, and then our perception of that history through film and yada, 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 right? What about you? Do you just look at them as action movies with a connection to reality or as as history designed to make money? Or, wait, what do you feel about yeah. the, the whole I, concept? I think to me in general, like history was always, or, or anything under the, you know, in school under the, the social studies umbrella, was always the thing I was the worst at and the least interested in. So sure. yeah, I think to me, like war movies are all, oh, this is history. Like I'm, I'm, you know, not, you know, like I, like, and I think that's part of it too, is like history, part of it, yes, I'll admit history in general always seemed boring to me. Not, okay. not all of it though. Like I, like, or, you know, and this is, I think when I first, you know, first realized, like I was always interested in like, you know, ancient Egypt, but it was more because of the mythology. And then kind of that was kind of feeding into what would later become my obsession with like mythology and metaphor and stuff like that. So even with ancient Egypt, I wasn't interested in the actual history of like of the actual pharaohs. It was more their, their, you know, belief system and the things. culture of the society yeah. than the timeline of the society. Yeah. Um, and like in the mystical part of it and all that stuff. And sure. so, so yeah, so a lot of, you know, the, <laughs> the idea of like, you know, humans in the past doing things also just the idea. I remember doing history stuff where, you know, they'd be like, Oh, why do you think so-and-so invaded this country? It's like, I don't know. Cause he's a f ass. What, like what, you know, and I know, I know that's part of what we're supposed to learn is like when people are holes and do up shit, like, you know, to not do that. And it's like, well, I, w I wouldn't have done that. I would not invade a country. That's not something I need to learn from the past, not to invade another country. Like I wouldn't do that. That's just, you know, like, so like I never kind of was able to interact on an intellectual level. Like why, like, you know, why Napoleon did what he did and why Alexander the great did what he did and why Hitler did what he did. It's like all those guys, like what the fuck are they doing? You know, like, and so, so I think that's, that's part of it. And, you know, and, 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 you know, I get that, like, you know, yeah, like with, with world war two, you know, it's like, I feel like what's, what's nice about that is it has more clear cut lines as far as like who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. You know, so it makes it easier, I think in, in that sense, probably to watch. But I feel like as, as I got older and realized like, you know, things that we were also taught in school, like as far as like told who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, that's always not always such a clear drawn line. Sure. So like, you know, like, am I supposed to be watching this thing and be like, and cheering for this group of people? Cause wait, well, why are they doing that? You know? And, uh, and yeah, it just, I, I think a lot of times history just made me, um, like despise humanity. <laughs> and like, so, so I tried to avoid that as much as possible. And, Oh, and there, so, so here's one thing. This is something that always stuck with me. The, um, I guess you could maybe call this a war film. Uh, the, was it called the postman with, uh, Kevin Costner? It's sort of this oh, post-apocalyptic. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty long. It's pretty epic. So it's this post-apocalyptic world where he, um, I think he was originally in like in the, in this post-apocalyptic world, there's this one guy who kind of rose up as this like 
dictator type military leader guy, you know, of course, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's usually what happens is some guy will step in and be like, Hey, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the country's a mess and try to like, you know, like a, like a Negan type character from like, um, uh, uh, walking dead, you know, those type of people like those, those opportunists who will like, Oh, like things are in chaos. I need to, to, you know, take control over everything. Um, and I guess Kevin Costner's character was originally in that guy's army, but he escaped or he was in prison, I think, and got out. But at one point he like, he's on the run and he finds this old mail truck and he like hides in the mail truck. And as he's hiding in there, he's reading a bunch of letters. And then he takes all the letters that are in there and kind of takes it on as his identity. Like, Oh, I'm a postman. And he starts delivering all these letters to people, you know, because in this post-apocalyptic future, you know, there's no email, there's no, you know, no electronic stuff. So he's like kind of, you know, bringing back this idea of people who haven't been able to communicate with people across the country. He's like on horseback delivering letters to people. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of the film, he ends up getting, I think, captured by this guy's army and the guy kind of sees like at one point they see this this brand he has on his arm and he's like oh you were part of this army and blah 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 and there was a line where he he says how and you know and again like um you know again like in 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 wars like i get it that there there probably are some sides that are good guys some sides that are bad guys again like in world war ii but like you know at one point you know kevin costner goes up against this guy and and he's you know he says you know why can't wars be fought by the assholes who start them, and like that kind of like clinched it for me is like why because you know and and again I get it like you know Hitler is obviously not going to be like you know hey you know if someone wants to challenge me one on one come over right. here and my army will just sit here and wait while you fight me man to man you know right. like that's part of it is like you you become this and you create an army to protect you because you're a wimp and you're too afraid to go kind of fight your battles for your on your own and you're you know you're this kind of cult leader who who has a bunch of people rally around you to do all your fighting for you because you're a piece of shit, you know so so like you know it, but it just kind of like boiled and and that guy and kevin costner end up fighting to the death you know and that's kind of the climax of that film which is like you know you know yeah like how many people died because it's was like oh i'm gonna be an opportunist and take over all this shit and of course those are the bad guys so you can't reason with the bad guys and be like hey bad guy why don't you just let one of our guys go over there and fight you you know like you know like who's gonna help captain america sock hitler in the jaw you know like yeah like in an ideal world it's just captain america versus hitler captain america kills hitler boom world war ii is done you know but it's like but, but yeah that's the thing is that like you know these people who are bags are like well i need I need to build an army to go do my fighting for me, you know? And so, so just the idea of it just is also like very upsetting to me. And I know that for a lot of people who are into it, it's about like the heroicism of the people who are fighting the bad guys. And I, and I get that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to just like, you know, like devalue the idea of, 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 you know, that like, yeah, if, if someone's being a bully and then these other people say, okay, we have to go stop this person from being a bully. I get that. But it's also just so, so out of my wheelhouse for like, you know thinking you know and um and yeah like i said a lot of times it just tends to be like upsetting that there are there are the people who do such awful atrocities that make people the other people have to say okay we have to build an army to go fight this asshole's army and stop them from doing what they're doing you know um so i think that's part of it is just like it's not it's not enjoyable to me 
to watch war stuff a lot of the time. And I think, again, I think that's what, like, like we were saying, like this one tended to be, it was, it was bloodless. It was very sterile because you weren't seeing the impact. Like even where they were bombing, like, like we only yeah. saw Germany from like the sky looking down on thousands of feet up. Yep. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, we weren't seeing yeah. like, like the, the, like, or like in, I guess uh, Schindler's list, I guess that'd be another one too. Like I oh, saw right. Schindler's list and that one, I mean, Right. And, and again, that's the absolute worst of it. You're seeing the worst. You're seeing it like, you know, the, these are the villains, you know, and this yeah. one guy trying to do a little bit of good, you know, and, and, and that's part, I think that's part of it too, is that like, like, I get it. You're preaching to the choir. You don't have to tell me how bad the Nazis were. And, right. you know, it's like, I, like, like, yeah, like, so, so to just kind of like wash continue to wash that stuff over myself and be like you know oh god like yeah, yeah. this is this is worse than i thought it's like it's too much right yeah and it's like i don't i feel like i don't really i mean i take something from it but i don't know that i learned something from it because it's like yeah you already you already had me on your side i get right. it you know i don't have to be convinced of it it's just like oh it's worse than i thought and and you know humans some humans are even worse than i imagined and you know which i know that doesn't reflect on all of humanity but you know just the idea of the i guess the potential rottenness of humanity you know it's you you've got to factor the most evil people into the overall perception of humanity because they're part of humanity like i said as, as far as potential um yeah so yeah, so so that's that's kind of it. It's not, number one, you know, I've never been interested in history and it's boring. Number two, at its best, it tends to depress me. Um sure. with the exception of this film, you know. Like I I you know, so 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 I was really glad to, you know, I was glad that I enjoyed it and you know, and that you know it wasn't like, oh, this is World War II, I don't like it. It was it, because it was such a different perspective, it was like, <laughs> you know, it 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 I was able to relate to it in a different way, I guess. So yeah, certainly. That's you remind me of what I was thinking about this too, about that difference in scale and that difference in focus, right? About just the struggle of these men, sort of totally irrelevant to the the broader world stage, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice. There's a briskness to it too, because this is an hour and forty seven minutes or something like that. It's under two hours, but it it mm -hmm. like it is gradual and it ramps up and it like it it doesn't feel super quick either you know like i i felt like the pacing was really impressive because you sit in that third act like it's really effective like it's a really well paced film from this era which is really kind of a rarity especially at pg-13 you know like yeah. this was really specifically cut to be pg-13 also i think that's also part of it like that's kind of a dying art <laughs> we can make yeah, both certainly. pets and make money off both of them well I, I remember hearing somewhere too and i don't know i don't know how accurate this is but someone i i heard somewhere that like part of the rating is also like how saturated the blood is on camera like if you do blood that looks more brownish you can get a lower rating but if it's like that brighter red it, it makes it more like gore and i i think that sometimes has tipped the scales which you know part of why i'm mentioning that is the whole the whole like tomato soup gag because when you see it like 
I feel like it's like it's horrifying. Like there's you know this bright red splatters everywhere, and you're like, oh my god! It's like oh, it's tomato soup. So like we can we can have that moment of like what you thought was gore, but it wasn't because it was tomato soup. So it's fine. Like we can keep it in the PG thirteen rating. Yeah, yeah. And that was like a second fake out, right? Like the tomato soup was not the first like jump scary thing that they did to like release tension in that way, right? I can't remember what it was, but just really great kind of release valves built in. And then it <laughs> slams you, though. That's the thing. Like, it totally disarms you for when it really hits the fan. Like, yeah. the, f- the fact that the kick me sign, can we just for a second, like, <laughs> something as innocent as the kick me sign, fucking, like, was really scary and a big point of contention. And like could have meant life and death. <laughs> like that's crazy. And they're just right, trying but... to like cope. Like, right? Like, right. Exactly. It's a prank. They're trying to like it, there's no malice in it at all. And it just I knew that <laughs> we didn't throw that metal off. I was like, you're this there's no yeah. way. There's no right. way you did that. Yeah. All right. Not a <laughs> you brought a, a nuke to a gunfight with that one. That, that's not a <laughs> that's that, that sort of tone is something I've always really liked about the air war of both world wars. And I talked about this a little bit during the Skycrawlers, right? That you they're they're on the base and there's this like sense of peace and ennui in combination, and then they go up for combat and there's just adrenaline and everything cranked to 11 and you know blood pressure through the roof and then you come back and it's just uh, yep here you go back on the ground hey let's go into town you know the city where there are people and restaurants sure why not (laughs) Uh, let's go back to the and then back it's just such a sharp contrast such a cutting dichotomy and in world war one because the air bases were in france you get it a bit more right because in two they're they're across the channel on the island of britain so there aren't really you know, ground forces to to impact, right? A line of combat. It's just this type of strategic city bombing, right? So it's not quite the same, but it's it's very similar. And the Skycrawlers sort of approaches giving you that tone perfectly, but it doesn't, which isn't the point. The point of the film is to do its sci-fi thing, right? To be fair. Um, and this, this film does it really well, but does it entirely in the air somehow, right? <laughs> Which is kind of jarring because if if you look at that other the World War One stuff or other World War Two stuff, you're thinking about it as between missions. But it gives us all of that beforehand. So during the mission, you get this downtime between attacks. It just it, it works that dial up and down, up and down, and up and down really well. And I love it. And it's the purgatory of it too, because like they're yeah. on the bri- the brink of losing it this whole yeah. time. And rightfully so. And the cognitive distance of like the fucking field where the farmer is like his hauler thing is broken down and Henry Connick Jr. is just there to fix the tractor for him. Like it just that juxtaposed with all of the machinery and all of the movement and all of the like regimented time, but it's also regimented boredom. You got to just hang out until it's time. You know, like that, that, and trying to sit with that, and the <laughs> you saw the last mission, and twenty three missions prior to that, like the trauma, yeah. like the condensed trauma and repeated trauma, 
And like that as, as a function, like the story is, is pl- playing on all of that too. Like in, in the juxtaposition of that kind of in between space. Yeah. The delay, right. The weather delay. Yeah. Like you said to yeah. about, this is their home, their cubicle. They're like, they have the stuff up here. So imagine this mission we just watched nerves shredded, except 24 more times at random intervals through your, through your life. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like we know, like the the dramatic irony is at play from the jump. Because the second we see that colonel, I think, or whoever the commander is, I, he's an amazing actor. I'm always blanking on his name. Um, David Strathairn. Yes, Colonel Harriman. Yeah. Yeah. So Colonel, when he gets the call and he says, "I thought we already bombed there," like the the just like he knows, and we know, we know it's coming and they're going and it's more dangerous and it's not a puddle jump. It's not an easy one. They couldn't right. just let it's them like... have an easy one. Like also what's an easy one because right. from landing to, 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 or from take, take off, off to landing, to landing yeah. there's no safety. Like, can we talk about the Colonel? Cause he's a great character, even though he's oh barely on screen. Mm. He's so good. He's and the juxtaposition great... with him and Lithgow, the size yeah. difference, the way they wear the uniform, how they deliver lines, how what like they're just cut from different <laughs> cloth. Like it's just outstanding. I love that. And the colonel, like, he so cares about his crews, but he also so believes in what they're doing, right? Yeah. That it's got to be worth it. And it, it's such a you can see the two feelings at war within the man, right? Of he that stood up there and counted planes, and too few of them came back. One of them, right there on the fucking runway, right? And we already bombed this place. You want us to do it again? And now they have the defenses, and there's less to hit, and they shredded us last time. Like, But on the other hand, we're bombing this place so those factories can't make tanks or planes. Or about, like, he believes, right? And it, he's got such internal conflict for someone who's only in, like, three scenes right he's, he's you know he's barely in the movie and uh he because of that he's sort of the best messenger to bring the the revelation to lithgow right who for whom for whom the war is something that's just on a movie screen mm-hmm. and even though he's the guy going around filming it it's you know it's not real for him right mm-hmm. that's why he breaks the superstitions makes an ass of himself why he's it's so, so good too like the way lithgow comes around to like slowly and like that he's such a great actor just just incredible mm-hmm. and it's so cool to see him play a guy like this because this is very he plays all kinds of different roles but this this kind of slick dick and <laughs> shiny greenhorn thing i've never seen that color from him like it's such a cool thing to see him play and like to give it the layers, like he slowly comes around to the idea of like, oh my god! And like when when we're watching them try and come home, he's on the edge of his seat. He's finally gotten it. You know, it's finally landed for him. Yeah. And that that's just really really cool. And you don't get that without those two characters and how right. both they, of them played it because it, it was great. Moment with the letter, right? He doesn't yeah read aloud. It's a narration, isn't it? Yes. It's his right. Yeah. Like his face, even though he's playing scene, it, he was obviously just sitting there staring at a piece of paper. <laughs> it's just it's perfect. Yeah, he acts so perfectly good. right, even yeah. though that was two separate separate takes. Right? Oh man, that's great. Okay, before we move on to any other categories, I 
I want to sort of complain for a minute about Fury. Did any of you see that? Brad Pitt? We, I still haven't. I, I thought of that when when we were first talking about like the idea of like this crew in a small right. place and you yes. said how oh well some do well some don't. I was like I remember that being yeah because it's a similar idea but in a tank right? Yes. Um, I I mean I think you should see it. It's it's good enough overall, but it's I don't know. I historically it's a dumpster fire in terms of accuracy, right? And that's a problem. And then. It tries to do way too much at once with one narrative about like innocence in a time of war and another sort of purposefully edgy narrative about how American soldiers weren't all just saints because of course not large numbers of people in any capacity you know there were there was looting and there was there were bad things but on a much smaller scale than you know the Holocaust right <laughs> right um and they sort of take all of these different ideas and cram them into a single movie, and it's not super great for it at the end. But it's a really great action narrative about the tank crew from start to finish. That part is pretty damn good, and it's really great effects, and it's probably some of the best sound I've ever heard in a film, to be honest. I saw that in a theater, and at one point when the tanks of infantry are advancing across a field against German emplacements, and the anti-tank guns are firing in the you know, one of the shells deflects off of the armor on the front of the tank and flies over the soldiers' heads. It had me ducking in the theater because of the way <laughs> the sound traveled through the room, right? Like, but it just doesn't have the same focus, right? Memphis Bell was, let's tell the story of these these 10 guys and let's show the just the stress and agony of what air combat was like. And the toll it takes and the you know the tragedy of war boom done that's it right already i said right you've got the let's do a little bit of revisionism to take the sheen off of the greatest generation which on the one hand is fair and on the other hand felt kind of um agenda-y right like there are definitely times when they go overboard and times when they're reasonable then there was the let's do memphis bell on the ground then there was the let's do a father figure son figure story of innocence then there was the let's do an enemy not enemy story of innocence then there was something like, like it just like you could have made eight movies out of these concepts right <laughs> and they all would have been as good as Memphis spell but you made one and it's not great <laughs> um but that said it you're right it's the same rough concept um i do think it's still worth watching again you know good good effects good sounds there is a moment in the middle of that film when the somewhere in germany right the tanks and their infantry have stopped to i don't know right to eat and what have you and they all look up and far above them in the blue sky is the silhouette of the b-17s of like a formation of 40 of them you know and the the smoke the, the trails right the vapor trails behind them and you can't hear any engines and these guys are standing down there in the in the ankle knee deep mud right on a road that's filled with room and refugees you know, looking up at this beautiful blue sky and these white trails and just silence. And, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's character says, oh, God, I'm nice. And every time we get to that moment in the film, I want to stop it and go watch Memphis Bell. <laughs> right? <laughs> because just what a what a cut that would be, right? Outstanding. Just, boom, right? Take us up to them and then take us back to the other guys, right? So there, there you go, right? Um, that's it. All right, complaining over. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go favorite scene. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Favorite scenes. 
the way the 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 dog fighting and bombing sequence footage was really really compelling to me like really it it it's it's almost uncanny and frenetic keeps coming like the word i keep going like choppy naturalistic but also surreal and not like maybe not surreal but like uncanny it felt real and not real the way they were shot was really unique angles and felt very pov not cinema cute mm -hmm. It felt like there was miniature work, but I couldn't really tell. Like, it, it felt very practically shot. Like, as cramped as they were in those spaces as actors, it felt like the same limitations were imposed on the camera work. And the way they captured shots and the way that kind of the bombers moved and the fighters moved felt almost stop motion at certain points. So it was almost like era-accurate effects to capture that but also like the in the style of the footage that would have been coming back in like newsreels. So yeah. I'm that just was really fascinating to me. And every time they shot like a dive or a bomb and like every part of it was just really, that was the most compelling part of it. it I mean, there, I, there's a, I have a most disturbing scene that we can get to, but like sure. my favorite part of it was how, that was put together and how hyper real it felt, even though it felt like older films techniques were used to create it. Definitely. Yeah. You're right about it. Just watching it feels like newsreel footage, which was of course taken at the time. Yeah. It's great. What about you, Tim? Favorite scene? So I don't, I don't know that if I have like one favorite scene, cause I, it's pretty much like the, uh, I guess the, the whole time they're in the air and, you know, cause again, it gets to that sort of claustrophobic crew in the scene. And I mean, there are so many like little moments of just like, you know, with the back and forth of like, okay, we're going to shoot some planes. Okay. Now we're going to go back we're going to prank it, you know, and, and it, it, it's hard to pick out like one favorite, but just the whole, that whole middle, like when they're in the, the plane and just how like, yeah, how it has this like heightened anxiety because you know they're they're off the ground, you know, like 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 you were saying before, like it, the mission's not done until you land and your plane doesn't explode, <laughs> you know, like right, right. So like, so just the just the fact that like, you know, we're in this kind of like, not 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 stasis. That's not the right word, but like this kind of suspension of like okay, like we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, this, this is going to be a dumb comparison and, and nowhere near, but just in terms of relating it to my own life, it's, it's basically now, you know, now, uh, you know, living post COVID and, you know, I do leave the house more often, but every time I leave the house, I'm still not comfortable. I'm still like, this is me outside of the house, you know, and I have my mask on and I'm, you know, I, I don't touch my face. I don't touch these things. I touch the stuff. So it's like, but so it's almost, like, it's almost like I'm going on a mission, right? And mm -hmm. you're on that mission and it's not done for me until I get home and take a shower. And then it's like, okay, now I can put on my clothes that I can sit on the couch and go to bed and whatever, you know, things I want to do. And I think that, that, you know, that's maybe part of, maybe, maybe I'm connecting with this so much now where I wouldn't have, you know, pre COVID where that idea of like, yeah, you, you've got to get out and, and do the thing and just be uncomfortable, but find some way to be comfortable in that discomfort. And, you know, you're kind of just slightly holding your breath 
until the thing is done and you can finally say, okay, now I'm done and I can relax, you know? Um, so like, I think, you know, and, 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 and that's one of the things I, I tend to like a lot about mythology is like seeing something I'm dealing with and seeing other people, whether they're, you mm-hmm. know, historical figures or fictional characters and how they're dealing with it. And it's kind of like putting myself in their shoes and, you know, almost, almost like in a sucker punch kind of thing where I, I'm like living this heightened reality where it's like, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm not doing this, that I'm, I'm on, you know, in a B-17 bomber when I'm in my car having to drive to drive to some place I don't want to go and have to be in a room with a bunch of kids for half an hour at a time and they're just coughing right in my face you know like but you know i just gotta do it and i'm gonna turn off that part of my brain and just kind of be in this you know um you know the 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 way i assume they do where you've just got to kind of become used to living with it and and like i said find a comfort in the discomfort so i think just that whole thing i really enjoyed because i i think like i i i saw like a, i guess a sense of adventure in it you know in that sense um sure. where it's like you know it's that's definitely it, part of it too a couple of yeah. the the crewmen are just they're they're they have that about it too it's an adventure yeah. it's it's nerve-wracking it's terrifying but they like they know who they are there like the commander the uh, captain i think it is like is like that where it it, it has that um it's part of his identity in a certain mm-hmm. sense, like being the commander of that. Like also like if we make it like we're going to be stamped into history also. So that, that sense of it too was really, really prevalent and really interesting to play with also with the, the frame of like the interview style and like they're featuring them and that this is coming up like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that too is like, you know, I feel like uh, a lot of times we have this sense of, you know, oh, well, it's, it's sense of duty, right? You know, like you're fighting, you know, you're fighting against the Nazis, but it's like on an individual level, you know, yeah, does every person really say, oh, I'm doing this to fight the Nazis and for the greater good and I don't care if I die? You know, I feel like lots of people are probably like, yeah, I don't want to die. I have my own personality, my own interests. And, you know, and that, that, yeah, I feel like you have to find maybe your own personal motivation for doing this. It's like, yes, I'm going to do the thing because I have to do the thing. But like, how do I go into it not being resentful that I may not come home? And it's like, what, you know, what, what, what do I, how do I find a personal connection to this and find a way to, you know, quote unquote, enjoy myself you know while i'm doing all this and um so yeah so just just that whole thing like i said not not one little scene stood out but yeah that the whole the whole middle um and the the, like i said the the adventure part of it um and then the other thing to me that that really stood out is you know and and it's funny too i know i know this has come up before that you know i'm supposed to be like a film composer but sometimes i don't notice the music first which which sometimes is a thing i'm glad about because a lot of times when i talk about talk to other either other musicians or other composers or other film composers it almost seems like like do you even enjoy watching movies if you're like oh i I was paying attention to the music first and foremost and it's like but did you see everything else that was going on like it's a whole movie you know it's like you're, you're not on the clock right now you know like watch the movie you know and and sometimes I'm grateful that that's how I approach a movie. I don't sit down and go, I'm a composer. So I have to think of the music first 24 this whole time, you know, yeah. but like when, you know, when I, when I did start really noticing it here and there, I really enjoyed, like, first of all, like, I guess you could say this is, this is maybe a favorite scene of mine 
the one when mm-hmm. they they get in the jeep and they're all driving and harry connick jr starts singing amazing grace oh, and then they yeah. kind of took amazing grace and did like the piccolo and banjo version with like the you know the, the the colonial snare drum kind of percussion and then it kind of morphed into this more like you know patriotic version and then it kind of came back down so like i thought it was really cool like using you know um, you know, kind of like what we talked about with atonement, right? Like, oh, here's something that the characters are singing. It wasn't that synchronized, but the fact that it grew out of something that was a, you know, a diegetic part of the film, him singing that, and then it became like a musical theme. Um, same thing with Danny Boy. I thought that was really cool. Like how, you know, again, it was like a song that Harry Connick sang, but it became like a theme that was kind of playing throughout. Um, and at one point, I think it was when the planes were taking off. It seemed like there were different fanfares. I, I caught it with like I think two of the planes. Like as they took off, it would be a yeah with fanfare with the name and the the yeah. different bombshell um, artwork. Mm-hmm. And they had some great names too. That was also really cool. Like the little flourishes, and it was yeah very kind of yeah, yeah doodle a little bit like that. Like just felt very very cool. Yeah. And I'm like, part of it made me want to like, think like, oh, well, you know, was there like a specific theme for each plane? And then like, how much did that care? But I think by the time I kind of thought, like, I noticed that, like, I hadn't been noticing it from the very first plane took off. So it's like, oh, did they have their own fanfare? And oh, is Danny Boy like the theme for the Memphis Bell? Or is there another theme that comes in? And, you know, and then like, when they're showing them in the air, like, was that something that was happening a lot? Like, oh, that's this this plane here, and oh, we're gonna play that theme's fanfare. So, so you know, sometimes in my head, I imagine things to be like cooler than what they actually are, and that that could have been what happened. But like I said, I kind of forgot to track it through the whole film. But what little of that I saw, I thought was really cool. That you know that yeah, the the planes and the crew seem to have a different character. So at least like, oh, it's not just here's the theme for all of the planes taking off. It was like here's a little bit different theme or fanfare for each one taking off. Um, the thing I didn't like in the music, there's one moment when they were in the air and they were like, like cheesy synth drums that were being used, which is kind of, <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, sure. Like, you know, at, at the time, like you're coming out of the eighties and it's like, <laughs> you know, we have these, these synth sounds that we can use, but it's like, it's part of why it stood out is I th- like it, for what I can remember, the whole rest of the score was just like, you know, orchestral or like, you know, like we had banjo at one point, but they were, they were all acoustic instruments. Like you didn't need to add synth drums there. <laughs> also like synth drums, like, like, you know, we have synth drums in, in, you know, Blade Runner. Cause it's the future. And like at the time it's, Oh, this is, a, this is how you do a future film score. You use synths and synth, synth drums. Like, this why is not the pants. A real snare drum or real tom toms or something. Like, why are you using like and it? So that was like the one moment that like pulled me out of it. It was because it was just like, you know, like, like yeah, sure, this was common for the time probably, but you're not writing a current day story like like it, it, it's the 40s. So like, why why would you decide like, oh, we need synth drums here? Like that it was just. It, it 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 pulled me out of it. It was so just like yeah, you didn't have like like there are so many drums, you know, like you can use so many different types of drums. You didn't have to do synth drums, like you know. Also, I feel like you could just you know you could get you know, uh, and I, I guess that's part is I don't see why like oh we can't get a bunch of drums to have a huge drum ensemble. It's like we already hired an orchestra. Like you know, even <laughs> if you have to like pay one person to play a bunch of drums and like you know overdub them or something like like do that like like you, you know like what 
<sighs> Tim is like the logistics of this composer. Like you were so, <laughs> you're like, what went wrong? Where, Glorious. where did this go wrong? You could have just laid our drums about, sir, sir. Use these drums, please. <laughs> well, you know, and I mean, that's part of it too. Is like, I don't, I don't try to be like, you know, oh, film scoring has to be, you know, again, like number one, I'm not an expert. Number two, like. You know, yeah, it 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 there is a degree of it that is a craft and not an art form, but it is part of it is still an art form, you know, like and I say it's it's a craft, not an art form, because like you're it's it's not the same where if you're writing something for the stage, it's like, oh, whatever kind of thoughts and ideas come out of my head, I'm gonna just put them on the score. You have a director you're working directly for, and that director will be like, No, I hate this, do something else, you know. So so there is a lot more about molding to the director's vision. So, so that's part of it too, is like, I don't know that I'm, if I'm mad at the composer or at the director was the director, like I want synth drums here. And the composer's like, what the f like this is taking place in the forties. Why are we using like eighties technology? Like we, we already have the orchestra, which is per fits the time period perfectly, you know, like, you know, he and, fought and, for and, banjo. That was the thing. They were right. they were fighting about yeah. whether to have banjo. And he's like, right. okay, if you give me my synth drums, you can have banjo. It's like, Okay. That was the giant robot spider at the yeah. end. Of yeah. Superman. yeah right. Well, and that's the thing too is like I mean I the like the banjo I thought was per oh and the use of the harmonica which I feel like that was mostly yeah. like you know diegetic but like like yeah like I'm not a I, I don't like the banjo but it was it was perfect like americana it was a perfect way to insert that in there and like you know you 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 felt that like oh yeah here are all these american soldiers with the banjo and the colonial like the piccolo and drum like like yeah, all that was perfect. Like what what made you say like no, we're gonna do this, <laughs> you know? To, you also, know? to reference another score I'm mad at, like it'd be like if all yeah. of a sudden there was just like screaming electric guitar, like <laughs> you know, like <laughs> for those keeping score at home, that's another reference to the Wonder Woman theme song, which Tim hates absolutely. <laughs> But, but anyway, it's I mean, you know, but it's an, it's not enough to like make me be like, oh, the score was trash. I feel like, you know, sometimes people will do that. It's like, you know, but but yeah, like it's it's just I think because I was I was so invested in the music up until that point, it was just like, why? You know, like 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 who who thought that again, not I don't think I'm an authority, but like it was a clear like deviation from right. what I feel like what had already been established as the sound world of this film via the time period you know, via, yes, you nailed it. And then like, nope, synth drums, you know, like, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, but the rest of the music I, I thought was really cool, especially yeah, like at the end, once they land, they're all partying and Danny boy comes back again. I was just like, yes. Okay. That, that redeemed it. That's great. <laughs> I was definitely like, I checked my watch when uh Connick started singing. I was like, okay, who had 15 minutes into this film? The fucking <laughs> crooner gets to croon. He, he was also a favorite part for me. He like just he was having such a great time. He was making like character choices and just like singing. Like I I I this was an era I missed, and I'm I, like I want to watch all of the things Connick Jr. did at this era. <laughs> just sang it, just up there singing for no reason. <laughs> I, I always love like Harry Connick Jr. Whenever I think of him, there was an SNL skit where I can't remember if it was actually Harry Connick Jr. was like the host or the musical guest, but there was a skit where it was either him or someone playing him. 
And I think the whole joke was someone kept shining a laser pointer in his eye while he was like trying to play piano and he kept getting all angry. He'd be like, come on, man. Like we're all just trying to have a good time and listen to the, to the songs that your parents fell in love to. And like that, like that encapsulates Harry Potter Jr. The songs your parents fell in love to. Like, boom. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's beautiful. He's like, he's the proto Michael Buble. And, and yeah. I, I can't abide a bubble. I'm not, I'm not a bubbler. <laughs> hard, hard to pass take. I take. So I've kind of spoiled this in previous um, situational recommendations, I think, but my favorite scene is the scene with the real footage mm. the letters the letters scene Shit, right yeah. yeah i mean that just does it it gets me teary-eyed every time right because it I, I kind of fall into the trap a little bit of enjoying the movie right and the camaraderie and then and then they show the other footage and it's uh i'm like oh right you know every one of those aircraft was another 10 lives oh right or um Towards the end of the newsreel footage, there's a, a pretty lengthy shot of a fighter laying into a bomber, and you can see at least three gun barrels on the bomber, not moving, just, you know, pointed wherever. Because the crew is out already? Or because they're dead men of the guns? I don't know, right? And then the whole thing cuts into... Uh, into back to our crew and they don't even give you a single moment to breathe right there's no like there's no joke there's no back to them it it cross cuts right back into fighter head o'clock level shrug, shrug, and he racks the gun and, oh, and the guns come up again and that's it immediately there's nothing it it you know completely if you weren't already worried about the characters you were watching right that does it it makes them a little more real all right and then the narration is just beautifully done too right all of the various letters which I assume we're just written for the film. Um, I you know, have no idea, but right of it, it takes Lithgow's sort of being taken down a peg, right, and starts with him narrating the letter he's reading, and then turns into all these other voices narrating their own letters about all the you know the cost of the bombing camp. I just that does it. That does it. That's the one. That's that sequence was so good because it was like, hey, you remember how this film had a framing device? Yeah. This is what we're gonna do with it, and it was it like it was really cool to be, and because we 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 were away from it for so long, right? Like they they bring it in the narration style and that that kind of framing of like this crew being like the famous one or, or like and covered in that way, and then when yeah. we cut back to it, and it's that like shock to reality. And it like it it becomes a historical document at that point, which is yeah. really cool. And then it comes back, you know, like it 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 does it it does that gracefully. I think is the way I would describe it. It's not it's not the whole deal. It's not, I you know, like it 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 is the whole deal, but it's not like gross or uber nationalistic or 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 uh uh canted like there's no angle on it you know yeah. it, it's just it feels very much pure documentation at that point for me yeah and that that first that first line they use for Lithgow's character right thank you for your letter about you know god yada it's a shame you couldn't tell me he stops right couldn't tell me how he died but he just told him how he died, right? He said, here, 
this was from a family whose boy got his head blown off over France, right? There's that like, oh, right. He he does know. He didn't tell them. But then also for lots of his 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 boys, he doesn't know because the plane just didn't come back. And that's it, right? It's a it's a great first letter. You know, again, I assume the letters were written for the film. I but it's a good choice. Yeah, like yeah, I love how it shows that that he's got to hold all this in his head. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's he's holding the burden of all that information and he doesn't, you know, it probably would be easier for him if he could tell the parents and then okay, I told them I can forget about it. It's like no, like this is the stuff I know that I couldn't tell them and you know just the 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 weight of all that. Um Plus, I love that, you know, we're we're invested in these characters, right? But but mm-hmm. the characters as a team and as individuals. So if 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 one of them were to die, it would be like, oh, that's sad. That guy I like just died. But then it's like, oh, but for every, like you said, Scott, for every plane, it's 10 guys. But for every 10 guys, how many family members at home do they have that have now lost that one person? Right. You know, and right. how, how exponential the amount of loss and grief, like, grows. And, you know, yeah. to remind us that, yeah, like... It's not just about the people who die. It's now the whole the families who are mourning them as well. One of the letters is, you know, a male voice narrating. Yeah, I'm writing to you to thank you, to say that my parents appreciated your letter, right? Could the parents not write back? Like, did they appreciate the letter? But right there, you know, he wrote to the parents, but the brothers write back instead. Like you said, yeah. So suddenly, instead of oh, the parents, it's oh, the brother, and whoever the brother knows and the parents friends and the aunts and uncle oh oh right it, yeah it starts yeah. you with that and the slow like it's just over there like it's like yeah. the information is not what it is now like you, you like you you yeah. can find out pretty quickly a relative depending on secrecy and stuff like you you would have some kind of data back then it was just very like what's happening <laughs> like you know yeah that one the one letter about you know thank you for your letter because i had been living with the false hope that the telegram i received was mistaken right yeah yeah thanks for confirming for me my child is dead what a what a letter to write yeah yeah but there it is all right i'm gonna cover the devastating scene now because i i just like i have a suspicion I think it's Jack. Jack takes down a fighter mm-hmm. and has a a hair's breadth of victory before realizing that it is careening out of control and it takes the tail off of another bomber below. And it's mm-hmm. the rookies. Mother and country. And li- right. Yep. And they listen to them <sighs> on the radio. And what they do, I don't know how they did this. It's the most haunting, horrific, devastating audio effect I've ever heard in my life. That just the these boys and their screams die into static, and the static becomes even more twisted and more anguished. And the it haunts me, and it's a movie. Like that, I don't know if that's accurate. It just it see a lot of movies. Like, like I've seen a lot of things in movies. I've seen over 200 earlier films. Like, you don't want to get on my bad side, Gabe, from The Office. But, like, it it was really scary and really anguished 
and terrified me and I was not ready for that. And it just kept, it kept hammering. Like every scene or stuff, all, all the things that we kept getting more, like it was just a visual and then it was quiet and then it was sound. And like the more sensory things that got added, the worse it got and the further it progressed, the more hopeless and hellish it became. And that, I don't know that I've had that experience in a movie before. And that was really, really disturbing and really well executed. I don't know how to praise it because it's such a twisted, traumatic thing to, to be projecting even in in a an object or an abstract sense i don't again i don't know how accurate to but what it conveys is so i don't know like it seems very apparent very sorry i keep talking maybe no please talk about it uh, that scene the helplessness is what really strikes me right of the bell's crew because they can they did they can watch and they they did everything right There was right. nothing they could have done. That's what you're supposed yeah. to do. They defended their own plane, right? It just and and then as the voices fade through, like what what can you do, right? I think I might be mixing that up with a different plane that goes down because there are so many. But um, does the radio man try to like tell them to get out, right? Or is maybe that a different craft where he's like telling well, the crew, do. I think yeah, it's like get out, yeah, like get out of the plane. It's like, like yeah. yes get out get your parachute but and that's the thing like a little bit later you get kind of a little bit of a, a pillow on it where it's like how many shoots two and it's immediate and i don't know if that's commander like giving them some kind of hope falsely but we don't right. see that he just says that and he does it so quick that it's like a relief but it's not a relief it's a, the whisper right. of a relief it's just it like the only good answer is 10 but it's never 10 right yep. so too. and the like fact say, it's that so they quick. weren't wearing their safety gear right. thought, oh maybe we should put that on because they watched another bomber go down like that like the it has become old hat and at some like to them like they, they are now casually doing it's like in the martian where he's about to leave and he almost forgets his helmet like that right it, it right. had that energy to it like tim how are you doing sorry to bring this. <laughs> no no <laughs> Well, no, because I, I didn't. I don't want to break in because I knew that, like you know, it was a. You had a lot to say about it, but yeah, like the. I think that one. Well, th- there's the one where the one plane crashes into the other plane, which was mm-hmm. crushing for one reason, you know, because it's like, oh, here's this plane that's perfectly fine, and then you know, a friendly, you know, but like they explode, and like there's that sense of like, oh, like it's over in an instant. And right. I think with this one, the fact that they're just slowly falling, like, it's not like you blew up and it's like, you know, boom, puff, you're done. It's like, oh, God, we're pinned to the wreckage as it tumbles to earth. Yeah. And like, yeah, maybe, mean, yeah, like maybe that gives them time to get their shoots on and get out of maybe. there. Or maybe all their shoots fell out the back of the plane. We don't know. Yeah. And then, like you said, Joel, when they ask how many shoot too, like, Maybe it was because Maybe. you know the only thing they're doing when another bomber is going down is they're either shooting at enemy planes if they have to be. Otherwise, they're watching their, their plane for shoots, right? And 
every one of the 10 people on every one of the other planes in that formation is watching and counting, right? So when they ask, it makes absolute sense that he knows already because he was watching. So yeah, do, fun. You know, he doesn't have to say, I think. But on the other hand, like you said, Joel, if he's the only one who was watching, maybe he just chose to say two. I don't know. And it's it's the culmination of like that rookie dynamic. Like he just keeps checking in. It's like, well, how does this go? What do we do? We gotta like trying to ask like the the seasoned veterans. Like I know you guys are gonna be on the way out. I won't have a chance to ask. Like well, how does this work? And the the photo like that that yeah. becomes a plot point, and it just it it they they dance with it. Like it's very well done. It's it's just enough. It doesn't feel too. Uh, um, Rue Goldberg machiney, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like everything's like really particular. It it feels just enough of that. It's not, you know. Yeah. Even early on, it might be the first fight, right? Where the plane ahead and to the right of the bell gets two engine fires and drifts across in front of them and then explodes. What a coaster that is, right? Because you go from, oh, they're hit, and it looks like they're going down, but the plane's kind of still in control, so I guess they're going to get out to, boom, oh, the fire got to some, you know, fuel tanks or whatever, to, well, I guess it was quick at least, to, oh, all this debris and junk is hitting our plane. That could have taken the bell down right there, right? If something hits an engine wrong, you know, or hits, hits wrong, right? And it all, it went from oh, they're hit, oh, they're going down, but kind of in an okay way, oh, they're dead, oh, we're in f***ing trouble. All of that just turn, turn, turn. You know, you get a few seconds of each. The, the nose, the nose getting torn off and the body falling out, and they're still yeah. flying without a nose on their plane. Like, the, they're going to go and try and land? Like, where? You're in Germany. You you have no front of plane, like I, that that was really disturbing too. And I, like again, I, I think they shot that in such a way that it seemed like an older style camera technique with like a body double or a, a mannequin or something. But it's mm-hmm. it, just the way it was shot. It was so quick that it was just like oh my god, like it was just enough to elicit it. They, they didn't linger on it in a party downish kind of way. Tim, little right. sizzle for nerds that speak there, listener. <laughs> Go on over but, there and check out our party down footage. But yeah, because that's, I mean, that's how, it, again, like the newsreel footage, right? It's just, it happened. And it happened at the speed it happened. And it yeah. doesn't slow down for you to watch it happen or to comprehend right. what you're seeing, right? It happens. Yeah. So, it, and like the, the, the granular nature of it, again, like the, the hooks on the guns, like they're just right. like freaking little hooks on wires. Like and and the idea that they're w- like you can't be up there without oxygen, you can't mm-hmm. be up there without gloves, or your hands will freeze oh, to the gun. Yeah. Like the way that they kind of went through the motions of the spot check, that expositional uh, setup was so interesting and so grounded it. I was cold the rest of the movie because I was thinking about them like trying not to freeze to their guns. Like mm-hmm. that that was really crazy to me. A later bomber we developed in the war, the B-29, the Super Fortress, instead of the Flying Fortress, which we mostly used the B-29 in the Pacific. They later dropped the nukes, right? Bigger, fancier. Um, was pressurized. Oh. So 
That yeah. makes a difference. <laughs> the Cadillac of the Skies, my friend, was one of its nicknames, right? For the luxurious cabin. Um, also, all kinds of other cool stuff. Crazy fire control radar for, like, automated turrets to all track one target from one gun position inside. The B-29 program was more expensive than the nuclear bomb program because of all the cool technology we put on it. Um, but the B-17 was, is, has become the poster boy for that the the normal shall I say right bomber craft of the war right the one the icon you know that four engine silhouette that wind shape the whole deal you know the ball turret at the bottom yep that's the one and but you're right it's just so oh it's so uncomfortable this is the scene where they're in the clouds and they almost have their collision right how dangerous is flying just at all at that altitude in that cold with no pressurized cabin and then right. how dangerous is flying next to other planes in a formation right. Again, who needs turbines? This is dangerous enough, right? On its own. Um, well, that was the other thing. Like, the flying formation is like, oh, this is really, this is like eyeballing. It's like really loose ranks. Like, they are not in like X wing formation. This is not like, this is like, it's just a really interesting, like, the, the difference in precision and the difference in radar and what your instruments, like Top Gun, right? Like, even yeah. that jump. Like that's so unlike also like landing on aircraft carriers like that yeah. that aspect to it too, like such a different like they brought the landing field with them like that that concept as like also like like they don't I don't I have no idea how true the formations are in the film or whether they're right you know they only had so many planes to work with right that were still it just made me feel like and, run like you're in um, inspection like you're eyeballing at the distance yeah, and it was no, just for like sure. I never thought of that really in a visual sense would be in, right. in a, a, a bomber but in the war the the formations were designed specifically to maximize the overlapping fields of fire from all the guns gotcha. from bombers yeah, yeah. right to, to maximize their kill zones and minimize their chance of shooting each other. Right. Um, again, whether the, the pilots adhered to those formations or did their own thing or not, I have no idea. I haven't actually read a lot of actual history about bombing campaigns, strangely enough. I've read other portions of the war. Um, but, you know, at least on paper, those formations were super important. And the way you filled gaps for different numbers of planes, depending on how many were shot down. Yeah very important it was wild like they had to do they did the run again like they went yeah. and did the bombing run again and i wrote like you, you totally don't, do don't want to you I don't do want to do that that's not how movies work that's not how you win this thing there's no that's their there's job no turning that's it what is. we're here for <laughs> right. and i love the way they play it because we've been kind of unsure about the commander this whole time like he's he's kind of in a very strange space tonally he also looks like the dad from uh, um, uh, Back to the Future. He looks like that actor. Oh, Crispin Glover? <laughs> he looks like Crispin Glover, but he's not. He's Michael something. I can't remember his name. Anyway. Um, he's the villain just, on Sense8. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way he he plays it where it, like you kind of see why is he making this decision? It's kind of been nebulous. And then when he explains after we get the concept of like, there are there's civilians in the area and it becomes right. like oh he doesn't have a death wish he realizes the reality he's a good officer like he's a good commander because he's like this is the way we have to do the mission it's terrifying it's the worst place ever to have to be in 
but like when he makes that decision it's coming from like an altruistic place which is like Mm -hmm. it 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 because he's awkward like he kind of plays the dad in the group and he's different like and he has a different kind of tone and doesn't he defines his identity a lot by it and that moment we're still unsure about him and then we find out his reasoning behind it and that that makes such a big difference i thought and it's easy just to imagine that a different leading crew would have just gone for it right right well that's the thing how many levels of guys holding other guys back in that sequence about like just drop them just drop them like let's go home i want to go no one else drops until the lead plane drops right yeah yeah it's and yeah. just that tension and they wrote it just so perfect like it was not it didn't overstay its welcome it was just tense the whole time it was that that was really impressive and then like val like uh uh the doctor's not a doctor yeah just billy zane billy zane what? with a mustache just like also the way they wore like them in their uniforms with the ave the 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 uh, uh uh aviator uh watches and the leather bomber jackets and like that sharp as fuck on the ground also sorry but i was just like billy yeah. zane in dress uniform like also with that mustache but he is so good at this kicker thing like this guy like he's the same guy on titanic this like like weird like 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 off like he's off he's got a secret he's not he's not honest and he plays that guy really really well <laughs> that was devastating like fact like we were gonna try and make it home and the doctor's been avoid and that's the thing they re- he's like i'm doing the bo- i'm bombing i'm bombing and he was like he's trying to talk him- them out of asking him to do it and the payoff for that and the- it was just a lot a lot just even more on the way home after they were not being fired on actively the mm-hmm. tension had not been released you know even just i i don't <laughs> I don't know that any other film has made me more invested in the the status of a hand crank than this one, right? <laughs> Up to the oh end. Oh my god! It was, it was so frustrating. Like when they're like, "Let me do it." It's like, really? Do you think the amount of time it's going to take when the thing is not being cranked as you switch guys is <laughs> really going to be made up for for how much faster you're going <laughs> to crank it? Like, if anything, you just lost time twice when you switched guys yeah it's like can we kick it does it not have like a kick like that was real time like very 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 methodic yeah and again they 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 teased it like because we see that last one come through and burst into flame after you think it's okay you think it's okay yeah that's part of why even not to like even today belly landings like that are really dangerous because of all the sparks right fire is a big yeah. risk and obviously modern planes are infinitely safer than yeah. warbirds from the 1940s right um even if there is a fire the 800 fire trucks that are waiting along the runway will just instantly crush it you know like it's not it's not an issue but but it is a very real thing at least as far as physics are concerned even today right so at the time way worse yeah a plane that just has filled filled with holes leaked fluids from uh, from whoever wherever may or may not still have a fully living crew on it is gonna skid across a, a landing strip for hundreds and hundreds of yards and see what might catch fire right it's just it's not it's not a good not a good time and even with that like the idea that like when he says oh bring it back up we'll do a belly landing 
you know, but because at least the belly landering is symmetrical, right? Right. The yeah. idea what the other one was because they had one one tire down and then right off kilt and then then the the wing hit, the you know, wing crunch, yeah, the whole thing, right? So it's like, yeah, I feel like you know, I, I gather that you either want two wheels or none, you know, right. one is worse, you know, so it's like. It was yeah, they were in a worse situation. Like they couldn't even do a proper belly landing because that one wheel had come down like an idiot. And then you know, you know. <laughs> right. And also, like they tried to drop Samwise Gamgee at the bottom of that plane. Like that that was scary. Like my height sphere was like that was a really good effect. However, they did the color separation or the the blue screen or whatever, like when they were gonna looking like they were gonna fall out of the plane, it it felt real. Like it, it felt very. However, they did that was really effective. And yeah. like that, the te- the idea of the bottom, the belly gunner, terrifying. You have the best view of everything. He got yeah. jammed twice. Like he couldn't move twice, and he's just sitting down there, like just just TV yep. dinner, just like on display. He's in there until, till basically till the end of the mission, more or less. You know. Also, I got the impression that he. It doesn't look like he can let himself out. Like it looks like that has to be open from the outside. You know, because like when when the other guy Virgil like puts him in, he closes the door, and then there are like the two clamps on the outside. So it's huh. like, you know, it's, it looks like yeah. you know, not even the type of thing where it's like F- this, I'm out. It's like can someone let me out of here, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, I love that the, you know, the, yeah, the, the, the captain or whoever does tell him like, put your safety harness. On. Oh, it hurts. And he's like, put it on, like, put it on. Right? <laughs> the thing that saved his life, you know? Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> Chekhov is very happy with this movie. <laughs> he's like, yes, all of the things introduced have paid off. Yes. And people have paid with their lives. That was Chekhov's dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love the I love the insult to injury too about that that like it saved him but then when his the, when Virgil's gonna pull him out he's like okay undo your safety harness like you have to take that off to be pulled up into the plane into the plane so right. like it wasn't just like oh you're good it's like well you know you've either gonna keep hanging there with the safety harness on or take it off and hope that I can pull you out hold <laughs> yeah they can haul them up right uh, yeah. God. So yeah, I was good. I'm glad you guys like this. I was a little worried about this one. It gets it gets sort of mixed reviews long term. Um again, fairly or not for it being a historical sort of um composite rather than you know, a real any kind of real single mission, right? And for using certain cliches and it's you know, the actual last mission was nothing like this right and the they just created 10 characters out of cloth for the film right that don't even share names with the real crew and yada 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 but again i personally i think it pays off in terms of the overall entertainment value of the film and then second that it's it's within the acceptable ranges of historical alteration right you know i I, Mm -hmm. i'm willing to accept that obviously everyone has to draw that line differently and then on top of that just coming from 1990 it can look a little dated sometimes. Some of the miniature work, um, so I was kind of was kind of worried, right? And again, the the cheesiness of that first act, right? <laughs> but what did I tell you? It makes up for it. <laughs> so no, it's perfect. Like it's such a great. It 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 establishes like this is a film that plays with tone really effectively from the yeah. jump. Like 
you 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 go through a big spectrum of tone in in the first 10 minutes you know yeah. like it, it's such it's such an effective opener like it, it's like this it when you do when you 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 front load it so effectively that's how you get under two hours in a movie like i feel like we just learned so much so quick and then we could get into the thing you know like i i i don't know similar to like top gun maverick i think that did a very good job of like I, mm -hmm. have you guys seen that Tim, you can ruin, i'll never watch it no just like the <laughs> what it does is like they kind of walk you through the mission and that's a lot of like the lead up to the mission. So when the mission comes, you know every bit of it, and you it's like satisfying to see it. When right, it happens. you've seen them practice again and again and yeah. again and again, and in like a really way, like not a way that makes it feel boring or like they've already done it or like oh it's insurmountable. Like it, it feels really like the payoff is great. That movie is incredible. Like this, this felt very much in a similar mm -hmm. vein that like it's establishing everything it needs to really quickly and then just like letting it be a mission driven. Yeah, narrative. I agree. I am torn a little bit about potentially wanting another crack at this, like a remake, because I saw Midway a couple years ago last year. Uh, and again, you were it's not fine. A fan. No, no, it's good. I mean, I, I might get it sometime. It's just, it's exactly what the first act of Memphis Bell seems to be. And that the whole I thing see. is a perfectly predictable you know knife between your teeth it takes us from pearl harbor to midway as the navy and the intelligence forces slowly turn the tide against the japanese in the pacific and every character is handsome and patriotic and you know which is but again it doesn't do it in a in a very like aggressively sort of airbrush out the the problems way it's just right. a sort of like like I'd take children to see Midway, right? It's that kind of just like, oh yeah, here's your like positive movie about the, you know, heroes of the past who fought this war. Here you go, kiddo. And and it's again, it's all about navies and aircraft, so it's not super bloody, right? Um, you know, it it sort of touches on the the Japanese reckoning with their wartime identity without bothering to engage with the topic at all. But but oh my god, the effects beautiful holy shit. you know that was the oh yeah it has been 30 years since 1990 movie of oh my god and i just i part of me really wants them to redo memphis bell with that kind of look right but part of me really doesn't because this is great as it is and the whole analog feel just works so well for this movie so this is definitely like i as as disturbing it like I, I like certain war movies. I feel like you like growing up with history, you either like it and you kind of gravitate towards one because of like, I feel like I liked a lot of revolutionary war sure. movies and all of that stuff and all of the history associated with that. But like I will world war two movies aren't ones that I kind of gravitate towards rewatching or even watching sure. in the first place. But this one, like, I want to rewatch this. It feels in the same way like Apollo 13 did. Like, I, that... Mm. There, There's, there's like, a... It's not nostalgia, but it's it's like a patriotic nostalgia in a certain sense. But, like, as 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 a uh, nuanced a, a, a categorization as that can be. But, like, the idea that, like, 
it, there's something uplifting and hopeful about it, but like not in a gross way, you know, like that, like, yeah, humans had had to do this because humans were really shitty and we had to find a way to respond and it's not the perfect response. And like, this is a really shitty position that everybody involved had to be put in it. But like, despite that, like we, we, we came away with a, a victory of some, like found a way, not a way to win, but like a way to accomplish something in it and make it f- seem like meaningful. And like that, that seems unique like it, this it, this is a unique one i think i i i i liked it a lot for that i think it had a different different sheen to it you know and i think that that indie and very like you said like it's a character study and it's very intimate but it, it it's it's not taking time to do that you know like it, it it's the events you're finding out through action from all of it or through inaction because of the, the lulls between it's just really, <laughs> that's a unique thing that that's, it's not carbon copy war movie number three, you know, like new effects, same arc, you know, like it's very, this, yeah, it it definitely stands apart. Sure. Thank you. Ever since I mentioned it at the beginning, I like, I can't get the idea out of my head about wanting to see this as a play. You know, one. Yeah, I, no, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Like you know, yeah, like like this as a set built on the stage, like the cross section yeah. idea. I can see and the lighting, thought, like, right? like exactly the yeah, lighting in the background. Through. So you can see like the planes flying by and overhead, and you're like, oh man, and they're reacting to that, and then you know, seeing seeing the the mother and country plane just in the background for a while, just there, and then the plane gets shot that you know, and have the footage of it hitting it and then slowly crashing and, and going off screen and a then projection screen for yeah. the back end. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The the plane. Another projection screen just for the takeoff scene. Right. Yeah. So we could do that and then come up to the plane. Yeah. And then in front of all that, the whole first act. Right? Yeah. Jeep concert hall party the whole deal everyone hanging yeah. out limited sets right they move off it, it would be so projected takeoff like and then yeah. boom the whole rest of the play takes place on the yeah. plane right don't need to have it on hydraulics like, too so when they do the diving yeah. scene the whole thing yes, yes. and you actually absolutely get like oh fuck everyone's like oh my gosh yes. you know just some theater nerds yeah. Want to be theater nerds? <laughs> oh. I'm speaking for me and Tim. We weren't theater nerds. Scott was was the. <laughs> it's all good. It's all and good. If, I love and it. If it's done as a musical version, there will be no synth drums. <laughs> no synth drums. Right? <laughs> there will be no synth drums. <laughs> right. Not in my our second house. to last. Our second to last musical number is "I'm Not a Doctor." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last... we could play it like McCoy. Instead of I'm not I'm a doctor, not a busboy. I'm a busboy, not, not a doctor. <laughs> I was a I was a bartender, not a doctor. All the careers he's had, you <laughs> yes, know. Right? I was a cab driver, not a doctor. Oh man, but that's great. And I'm just thinking about I okay, no, sorry. But yeah, I love it. I love your idea. No. <laughs> like like rig the guns with lights on the ends. Mm. Yes. Right? Absolutely, and, like, so you can follow them, yeah. and then you and, can turn out the lights, and it's just following those in the sound. Like, we can see it, like it's happening. Like, listeners, like the Guess lights what? go down, and the cockpit is lit as the other plane passes in front of them. The smoke generator starts up, right? But meanwhile, you're still seeing flickers in the dark of the mm-hmm. Bell's crew firing. <laughs> oh man, we need to do this. All right, quick yeah. file a patent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PM. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. Memphis Bell, the stage musical, is now proprietary. <laughs> you know, <nerdsthinking>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if maybe it's time to move on to your uh, favorite segment, Joel. I just had a million notes, so I think I hit I most mean, of the big please. ones. I want to make sure you got. Did you get everything you wanted to, Scott? I did. Yeah, Tim. Anything you want? Yeah, because I I have a situational recommendation I've been working on but can't phrase properly. So okay, let's let's hard. workshop it. But, I'll put know. it here. It is it is time for <laughs> another situational movie <laughs> recommendation. The inspiration for this is a World War One movie called Flyboys, starring. James Franco? Question mark. It's terrible. It's a, it's a hard war romance, um, overdone special effects that defy the physics of the time, um, and again, kind of like crams way too many plots and character relationships into too short a movie. But the parts that it does well, it does really well, and no other film has come close. Right? Um, for World War One in particular, you're looking at Aces High which I think came out in the 60s, which is good. But again, just isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same, it's right? It's, it's unbalanced. Yeah, right. So I bought it. I bought it for two bucks at a Walmart. And uh, I probably overpaid for it, you know, on the quality of the film. But I, I do still put it on and skim through the sections that I love, right? Um, Fury is the same. I put that on for certain portions of it that were really good, right? So it's sort of a, like... It doesn't have to be a war film, but like, what's a film you would buy cheaply just for certain segments or certain things it did well, even though the rest of the film is garbage? Does that make sense? Oh, no, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I feel right. like there That's... are different tiers of this as well. Like, the, yeah, so it's $2. $2 is the threshold. I mean, if that's the bottom threshold if you want, right? I, no, I like it. I like it. I might have been willing to pay five, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and like, because like Fury, I paid a regular price for, even though that's the same type of film for me, right? Of I love certain portions of it and the rest I just skip through. I paid, you know, regular disc price for that. I don't know. I'm going to go like my, my instinct. And especially when you were telling the story about finding it at Walmart. Yeah. Is I one time saw um, a Ghost Rider in, at Walmart, oh. and yeah. I think I still didn't buy it. But if, if, <laughs> but that that definitely falls in that category. Was I remember like the visual effects of Ghost Rider were so good, like the flames and how how like you know everything kind of like melded together and like when you know you'd go from kind of being on the ground and then driving up the side. Like visually, it was great. It was like. Um, it was like transformers level where, wow, this looks great, but I hate every time anyone is talking and telling me about the story or doing, you know, it was just so like, so, so weird. So, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those, like it, it's Nicholas cage, but it's like, where is he on the Nicholas cage spectrum? You know, and it's kind of like, you know, like we've talked about this before. Is it the actor's fault or is it the director's fault? Like, was the director right. asking for this or was this Nicolas Cage being insistent on doing this? Like, and it's like, the you know, and OK, it's Nicolas Cage. I can't really turn him down if that, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely something where, like, whenever I try to watch scenes from it i'm just like ugh. but like if it's like an action thing with like the visuals and the chain and the fire it's like oh this looks so cool you know so i think yeah that would be it for me <laughs> you saw the sequel i think so the sequel 
you haven't clearly. Well, that's like, the one with with what's his face a, who's on the horse, right? Like, uh, was it Sam's? Uh, yeah, yeah, Sam Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott. Yeah, okay, I did see that. That one's really good. Like, I really like the the sequel. Like, it gave me all the things I wished that the mm. first one did. Yeah, did. yeah, you might be right. I may have liked that one more. I think. Yeah, but no, that's a good like that. That's where my head went to. Like, I'm, I would definitely drop two dollars on Fantastic Four mm. and yeah. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Like, I would get those. I would spend four dollars. I would spend four forty four on those two movies what about fant four stick how about that one? that uh, <laughs> that one i will not pay for and that and i want i watched them that's the all best one that i've succession. ever heard in my life fan four stick it that's it, absolutely like mithrigan mithrigan <laughs> megan <laughs> the seven n yeah <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of other like yeah yeah like i you know Flyboys, like I said, they're some of the action in the sky, even unrealistic as it is, is great. Again, just like the effects, there's a whole fight with a, a Zeppelin where the planes are trying to catch its hydrogen with their incendiary ammunition and dodge through the enemy fighters. It's really spectacular. It's super just like CG bordering on almost sci-fi for the war, you know, but it's super <laughs> cool, right? Um, the whole act one of Memphis Bell takes place in an eight-minute training montage, right? Which is which sucks, but man, that montage is so peppy, and the technology they were using in like 1915, <laughs> right, to simulate aircraft guns on the ground for training—it's so cool, right? So those are my, you know, the portions, right? Um, Fury again, which I again is worth a watch. Watch it once all the way through, and then skip through stuff, right? That scene where the tanks—it's like four or five tanks—and picking up Allied infantry to push across a field towards a German defensive line. The German tank guns get like eight pot shots off that all miss or deflect, you know, because they can't kill our protagonists. We're not even a third of the way through the movie, right? So, okay, haha, how convenient. Also, oh, how convenient. Fury is the tank that blasts all the guns, and the other three tanks are like sitting on their hands, I guess, right? But the thing is, man, I, that's like a theater moment I will never, ever forget when that first shell comes out of the blackness underneath the tree line and wham whoosh, you know the sound it made is it deflects off of the, the armor of fury and, and all the infantry behind her like duck is there you know stuck behind their tank like holy <laughs> right it's just damn cool so um those are my two but in the interest of giving a, a real-ish answer or maybe a positive answer midway that i just mentioned from 2019 mm. i would buy that for the whole last movie <laughs> right it's again you know they take two years of combat from Pearl Harbor to Midway and cram it into a single movie. So it's picturedated, right? There's a a bit where the Enterprise arrives too late to what was the Battle of the Coral Sea. And that entire scene is maybe 40 seconds of them rolling up on the sunk Lexington and the Tampa Yorktown and like stoically standing on the bridge, like, damn, we were too late to help with this fight. Boom, next scene, right? And in reality, that was the first naval battle in history where the two fleets didn't sight each other once during the entire battle and it was super important because of the way the forces walked away from it afterwards but that's too bad we're watching the enterprise so it's a 90 second done right like it's just a really brisk really like oddly upbeat war film but yeah man it was fun i'd pay 20 bucks for midway yeah 
Sure. See, I'm thinking now Morbius. I'd spend two dollars on Morbius. Right. I'd spend two dollars on the Venoms. Like I'm just thinking of like all of these like lower tier yeah. hero movies. There's a very like two I think Nick Cage movies is like also a good barometer. Like two bucks for a Nicolas Cage movie of any variety. Yes, absolutely. Like sign me up. Um, yeah, it's either correct or a steal, depending on the movie. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Or like Mandy, an obscure, Ooh. yeah, right. <laughs> or an obscure like Chucky or like Nightmare on Elm Street, like those for two dollars. Like that's right. a bargain. If you're getting those, just you snap them up so you can get all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're giving those away, Fla- no flaws. <laughs> I liked your Ghost Rider answer, Tim. That was good. Yeah, I forgot was about solid. that movie. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah, it 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 feels at home in the the Walmart two dollar bin. You know, it's like <laughs> this this was Where a big deal. But, yeah, like, but right. people don't want to own this at full price. But oh, for two bucks, yeah, I'll throw it in and watch all the cool special effects. Yeah, right, exactly, a hundred percent. So, yeah, and you know, it just occurred to me. Let me see. Uh, Fly Boys is on Amazon Prime for the rental is three ninety nine. Oh, which is a dollar more than I paid to hit it Walmart. <laughs> Vetoed. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Not that it themes with Memphis Bell at all, except for the fact that Memphis Bell made me talk about these other movies, right? But yeah, that idea about what would you, what would you have if the price was right, even though it wasn't great. There's not a lot of movies I wouldn't pay two dollars for, though. Right. I mean, if it's like... cheap enough, yeah. And I find myself doing that on streaming services when films are on there that show up. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll watch the 10 minutes I cared about again, <laughs> right? Like, I, feel like I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pick up, like, uh, uh, Haunted Mansion or Norbit for $2. Like, I'm not touching that. Like, and I already have Austin Powers. So, like, there are certain, <laughs> certain things of that tier that I do not require. But well, thank you, Scott, for bringing us Memphis Bell. Finally, the long awaited <laughs> yeah, finally. Bell. Thank you, thank you both for just for renting it. I appreciate it, right? Or however you it may was, have got yeah, it. It was definitely but, worth it. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, thank you all for watching it. I'm really glad you liked it. And um, what do I do now? Do I retire? Is it over? <laughs> right? I finally made. Um, nope, you got one more mission. <laughs> <laughs> one more episode. All right. 2,500 episodes. <laughs> anyway, that concludes my, my pick for this month, right? Which means that next month, our movie selector is Tim. All right. Tim, what will you be bringing? All right, he says. Tim, what will you be bringing us? So I will be bringing Waking Life. Waking is, Life. Um, I was reminded of this because there's a movie that just came out on Netflix called uh, Apollo 10 and a Half. Okay, and yeah. It's done with like the, I think it's called the rotoscoping. Rotoscoping, like draw, exactly. Draw over the footage. And it reminded me of Waking Life, which I had forgotten about. That was another another film that I was big into back in my blockbuster days. Um, and the the writer and director of that, Richard Linklater, he, mm-hmm. um, he was actually a director I was into for a while and kind of forgot about because I think he hadn't done anything. And his the thing he's probably best known for is he directed School of Rock. But I don't think he wrote okay. it. I think he just directed it. But before that, he had done a bunch of stuff that he wrote and and directed. You know, and that and I think probably his his you know pie his you know uh, following is the movie Slacker. Uh, I think that was his first film. 
And then uh, this came, I think, soon after. I think he also did. There's like a trilogy of movies with um, Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke that he did, like before, before Sunrise, before Sunset. Yeah. yeah. Um, before Midnight, I think maybe is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah. And I, so, so you know, he's he, he did a bunch of stuff that I was into around that same time. But I think, yeah, he hadn't done some of his own like written and directed stuff in a while. So I kind of forgot about him. But Waking Life was, I think, one of his earlier works. Again, it does that rotoscoping, and it's just kind of very trippy. It's very, it's not like a, um, it's meant to be like a whole, like a dream sequence. And it's really cool. It's really cool, like a lot of the actors who pop in, because it has very much like an indie vibe. Um, but yeah, there, there are a few uh, neat surprises of the actors and actresses who show up. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not clearly them because they're drawn over but you can kind of tell like they still look like who they are um and i think it's it's also like uh you know i i can't remember i think it might be him who also did uh scanner darkly which is also done that way right the rotoscope dick story reeves um so that was like another one and then there's a series on amazon also done with rotoscoping called undone i don't think he has any had anything to do with that but it's just another you know if, if you're into that sort of thing if you like that visual that's another more recent story i mean the story was amazing i highly recommend that as well um but yeah so this was for me it was another again at the time it was probably right up there with like pie and memento and you know all all the aronofsky and and um uh, um um christopher nolan stuff i was watching you know again becoming more aware of directors and their work um but again it kind of kind of fell off because it's like you know and i i mean i love school of rock but it wasn't the same thing as like watching his other stuff which is much more like philosophical and very very visually interesting um you know, School of Rock, you know, again, like, I think it was because, you know, he didn't, he didn't write it, just directed it. Um, I don't think, I don't know that a lot of people know that he directed it, but that's, again, like, I think his most well-known thing that he's done. Um, but yeah, for me, it was kind of like, oh, but that's not, you know, it's, it's, it's cool story, but it's not like cool and weird and trippy and dreamy and philosophical, like your other stuff that I like. So, so I was happy to kind of be reminded of him when I saw that, that preview on Netflix for Apollo 10 and a half. I haven't watched that yet, but I'm planning on watching that at some point too. But yeah, and I think waking life is on HBO right now. I think that's where it popped up. Yeah. Do you recommend watching a trailer on it? How cold should we go into it? Um, either way, I mean, it's not like if you watch a trailer, it's going to ruin anything for you. You know, there are, there aren't really a lot of plot points where it's going to be, you know, uh, and, you know, even, even if you watch the trailer, like the film is also very, it is a little choppy, I will say, because I think it is meant to be like a dream sequence. You will see, I think the, the main character will kind of pop from one scene to another at times sometimes the main character isn't even there at all it's like other stuff uh one neat scene which isn't really a plot point so it doesn't ruin anything there's actually a recording session with the musicians who are recording the score and that's part of the film and they're all rotoscope so as they're rehearsing and kind of working through stuff we get to see some of that so that part is kind of super meta in that sense that it's like oh we're we're it's a video of us recording the film that we're scoring but that's in the actual film itself and and it's treated that same way um but yeah so yeah i don't think that you need a lot just yeah i guess just to know that it's not um it's not supposed to be something that has a very clear you know plot it's just uh, yeah just just going to it knowing it's oh it's like a dream you know and you'll kind of i think that'll that'll put you in the right headspace so watch the trailer if you want or go in cold i don't think it'll make much difference 
Although it may spoil some, no, actually don't watch the trailer because it may spoil some of the actors and actresses who show up, you know, again, mm-hmm. given that it has a little bit of an indie nature, like when you do get some kind of big name people who show up in there, it's kind of like, oh, oh that's, that's so-and-so. So yeah, maybe don't watch the trailer just so you're more surprised by those people showing up as you're watching it. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Very cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Another Good left field that. one. Like I'm excited. Like, Tim's, I never can predict Tim's. Like, I can kind of figure out what, what Scott's in the mood for based on, you know, the, the tides. And Zeke, there's like a million movies Zeke could pick. And I kind of like, but with Tim, I'm like, I have no idea. We're spinning the wheel. I'm so excited. Yeah, I yeah. think it'll be fun. I think it'll be, uh, you know, I, I also picked it because I feel like I need a boost in sort of my own um, creative inspiration in terms of stuff like that. And I feel like this is a, it's a very different type of film you know in terms of like filmmaking and again in like narrative and you know kind of how your your piece your how you're choosing to piece the scenes together because it is a dream so it is very loose but you know you might find threads and things like that and um i also haven't seen it in so long so i think it'll be a good time to come back to it and be like re-inspired by it or or maybe it'll be like oh this is this is so dated but um either way i think it'll be you know it'll be fun nice very cool. Thank you, Tim. That looks yeah, like a great you. time. Thank you both for joining me today on this little flight of ours. Thanks for getting us back home safely. And <laughs> listeners, thank you too for listening to our journey. Until next time, good night. Bye. Bye. Movie Mumble comes to you from nerdsthatgeek.com. Visit nerdsthatgeek.com for all things Movie Mumble. Movie Mumble is hosted by Scott Murray, Joel Lewis, Tim Gerard, and Zeke Perez. The Movie Mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by Tim Gerard. The Situational Recommendation theme was composed by Joel Lewis, Scott Murray, and Tim Gerard, reluctantly. This episode of the Movie Mumble podcast was edited by Joel Lewis. God damn it. <laughs> I had that. It was been unmuted for so long. How? We've been trying. We went to oh, no. uncircumcised to come back for a clean end. And you just uh, muted all over. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. Let's do it again.